You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello and welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network as we continue the longest month in the history of months as we enter week three of Anniversary Month. Yes, it's the third month now of Anniversary Month, I think, and uh, boy, oh boy, has it been a fun one. All these films we've been covering, all the anniversaries, and they've all lapsed into future anniversaries. We're here to celebrate the 35th anniversary of The Last Action Hero, uh, released in 1993. The movie that pretty much everybody says started to derail Arnold Schwarzenegger's movie career, but uh, I, for one, think this is a great film. It's exciting to get a real cult following, and we today will not be releasing our Jurassic Park episode to go up against this <laughs> to make it so you don't want to listen to this one any more than the Jurassic Park one. Although you can download the Jurassic Park recap via, available via the Oz Network in case that is your fancy. My name is Ben, and I'm also the famous comedian Arnold Braunschweiger. And my name is Colin! I got the city council chewing my eggs when I played you crash in the California Razors doing an all-male version of the Dire of Anne Frank. Get your badge! <laughs> oh, God, this movie's great. Um, <laughs> it's been a while since I've actually watched this film. Um, and to clarify, I'm not dumb. It is the 25th anniversary. I was trying to make a joke, people. Jesus, stop typing on the keyboard. Um, but I, it's been a while since I've watched this film. You've never seen this movie until now, am I correct? Like, how have you not seen this movie? I still am completely baffled how Colin Hilding has not seen Last Action Hero until, what, the last 24 hours? Yeah. Um, and I think we mentioned this either at the beginning of Anniversary Month or whenever we were teasing uh, at the end of Bad Movie Month uh, what we we're going to be covering, that... I remember when this movie came out, and if you go back to famously our Jurassic Park episode, <laughs> uh, you know that I mentioned, you know, when Jurassic Park came out, summer of 93, and I wasn't really at the age where I was going to movies by myself. My brother and sister didn't want to see Jurassic Park, so I, it took me a year before I saw that in theaters. Uh, this was the same summer, and this was another one that I saw, and I'm like, wow, this, this looks like a great movie. I want to see this, and my brother and sister didn't want to see it and we just moved to a new area like a month or two prior to these movies coming out uh so it's not like i had friends that i could go with and for whatever reason you know the, the bad reputation of this movie at the time uh, it just it slipped through the cracks and i've kind of meant to go back and watch this thing for the last 25 years and it just hasn't happened until now and i didn't even realize how crazy that was until as i was you know uh just researching this movie a bit i went through arnold schwarzenegger's filmography and realized there's only three movies he's made that i have never seen and this is one of them so i don't know how this was one of the ones i had never seen i need to find out what the other two are now that you haven't seen there's uh well 80s movies there's one he made raw deal and then the other one which we see a cameo from his co-star uh jim belushi in here red heat those are the only other schwarzenegger movies i've never seen right i was about to say if you hadn't seen like true lies or something we need to uh you know get into that movie right now but i'm pretty sure you've talked about that uh on here oh yeah uh previously before but uh this is also a bit of a throwback for us because the very first episode we did was the sixth day uh when we did mm -hmm. our movie recap so it's a uh, taken us about a year and a half to get to another Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, so p please be prepared for terrible Arnold impersonations, particularly from me. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't even tell you the first time I saw this movie as a kid sometime, um, and just be one of these ones that you would always rent from the video store 
and uh, probably watch at least once a year or it's randomly on TV. Um, and, you know, I probably mentioned during the sixth day that my dad's a huge Schwarzenegger fan. He used to always joke that, oh, I'm watching porn whenever he's watching an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. So, um, yep, that's my dad for you. And uh, I don't know if this is one of his favourites, though, because I, I feel after out of all the Arnold movies we used to watch, this wasn't exactly one that he would watch with me. It would mainly be me watching this film. But, um, yeah, I, I, I love this movie. And I... Yeah, it's been, as I said, it's been a while since I've watched this, and I don't know why I've kind of let this slip for a while for me to be able to, to watch this film, because I always kind of get a lot of plot lines from this and True Lies mixed up. I'm always like, oh, is this the one where he's hanging off mm. the, the plane and he gets fired from the missile and all that sort of stuff? But, uh, yeah, the I mean. The horse in the elevator yeah, or yeah. the elevator <laughs> and the crane. Is this one with Bill Paxton in it? Um, <laughs> possibly, not too sure. But, yeah, it was, I mean, it was an interesting period for Arnie, wasn't it? Because, you know, he could do no wrong before this film. Uh, he was kind of, mm-hmm. as soon as you whacked his name on a movie, it was going to completely sell out and, you know, do great guns. And he was coming just off the success of Terminator 2, coming into this one only a couple of years earlier and often regarded as one of the greatest action films of all time. So... It it really started a, a bit of um, a bit of a bad run with him. You got to look after this. You know, True Lies wasn't exactly a huge hit uh, at the time. Junior, oh, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. True True Lies was enormous though. True Lies, I think, was in the top five highest grossing movies of its year. Well, wasn't it? It was was it the other way. I'm thinking like critically it, at the time, it wasn't received well. Like I feel like at the time it came out, it was never fully accepted. I think it's one. Of, it's kind of like Last Action Hero that it's only really getting a bit of a cult following now. Like I, I feel as yeah. though it was just hated by critics then uh, perhaps when it came out but uh, I mean Junior Eraser did okay Jingle All The Way how have we not covered that yet uh, Batman and Robin we know everything that happened with that End of Days and then up to the sixth day which of course we've already covered and then essentially he only did Collateral Damage Terminator 3 and then he was Governor so um, <laughs> I mean it's, it's interesting to think that you know this movie is often regarded as a bit of a downfall for him yeah and I mean, Terminator 2, obviously, being prior to this, you know, that was the peak. But even if you look at the years leading up to that, I mean, Kindergarten Cop, enormous movie, Twins, enormous, uh, Running Man, uh, the, the, the Conan movies, the, the original Terminator, uh, Red Heat and Raw Deal, I'm sure as well. <laughs> you know, he was the movie star of the 80s. I think if you were to pick, you know, any decade, you can pick one or two people that stand out as that this was the guy of that decade. Uh, if you go to the 80s, I mean, I I can't really think of anybody outside. Of, there's really there's Stallone and there's Schwarzenegger. And not even just among action movie fans. I mean, you can't think of dramatic actors who really made that kind of impact uh, during that decade. They're kind of the original movie stars in terms of like the modern day movie stars i mean even his paycheck for this movie was like 15 million dollars which at the time was i'm sure the record because we're still a couple of years away from i think jim carrey getting 20 million dollars for cable guy and mm. then uh uh what was it um uh tom cruise got 20 million dollars for jerry Maguire or something like that like then you had the 20 million dollar club that sort of came after that but this was the peak prior to that and it's it's interesting that uh, you know, this movie has this reputation of being such a massive bomb when if you look at the box office, it didn't do that bad. It's just in comparison to, I guess, the budget going into this, the amount they spent, the publicity uh, and the names attached, you know, particularly with Schwarzenegger and even the director of Die Hard, John McTiernan. 
uh, I could see why this developed that reputation as being like the beginning of the end for him. But even just based on box office numbers, I think most of the movies we ran down after this, with the exception of like The Expendables uh, or Terminator 3 or True Lies, they all did much worse than this did. And it's interesting, um, and we'll talk a lot about this, no doubt, more at the end, and you know, I've sort of mentioned a few times, but I think that the big... The huge killer for this is also often regarded as the fact this was released a week after Jurassic Park. And, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we talked about that during our Jurassic Park recap in that the amount of records that broke and how dominant that was at the box office. And, you know, it's often re- talked that Arnold sort of said, because he was an executive producer on this film, so he's kind of, you know, telling the studio, you need to bump this film. You can't put this up against Jurassic Park. Put it back a month. And that sort of already had all these issues with releasing it and editing it and everything in the lead up to it. So... Um, there was a lot of issues around the release of this film, um, and I think that it's, it, to me, I'm very happy that this is really developing a cult following now, you know, 25 years later, we're here obviously talking about this 25th anniversary, uh, hopefully next week, uh, we can start up the campaign for Godzilla 1998 to, uh, slowly yeah. get that, um, <laughs> that cult following in the next five years as it approaches its 25th anniversary, but, um, I, I remember having, um, I mean, I would have been six when this came out, and... There used to be a little magazine uh, called Disney Adventures. I don't know if they still do it. Um, mm. And I had... It was probably the very first copy I ever got because it had all about Jurassic Park in it. But it also had a big article uh, about this film as well. And I think that's probably my first... Like, oh, okay, that sounds really cool. Uh, that's why I want to see it. Um, and it had, like, an interview with Austin O'Brien, um, the <laughs> 1990s biggest star, star of Last Action Hero and My Girl 2, and that's it. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, I I hope that people listening to this who are maybe fans of the film or have watched it for the first time can just appreciate because I I I've mentioned I think in some of our other episodes that I, I love these kind of tongue in cheek films where you know like I'm a big fan of Pleasantville you know sort of when they're sucked into oh, yeah. the TV and all that sort of stuff and I just like this one and I think Arnold's fantastic he's got great comedy comedy timing I mean you know he's obviously shown that in previous films to this and. You know, he's never going to win an Oscar. Who knows? If you're listening to this in 10 years' time, he might have won. Good on him. Congratulations. Long overdue. Um, but there's just a self-awareness to this film that he has in just ripping shit into his own movies, which in reading a lot of everything into this episode, a lot of people said at the time that a lot of Arnie fans didn't appreciate that at the time, that he's kind of sending up on what's made him famous at this mm. point, which I just think this is what makes this movie so brilliant, is just Arnold... And just taking the absolute piss out of himself and the type of movies that he makes. Because this movie in itself has got so many mistakes, so many continuity errors that it deliberately put in there as a send-up yeah. of this genre. And, like, it's just, it's so clever. And I'm surprised that not many more types of films like this get made. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Pleasantville. That didn't come to mind until you said that. But there were a couple others that, you know, I thought about um, uh, Galaxy Quest as a mm-hmm. big one. Scream. Uh, and I saw a lot of similarities with this. Uh, and another one, which um, you know, is probably not nearly on the, the level of popularity as like the Galaxy Quest of Pleasantville or this, was uh, The Forbidden Kingdom, which was the first ever pairing of Jackie Chan and Jet Li, which I, I knew when that movie came out. I remember seeing that, you know, uh, opening weekend when that was playing in theaters. And all the reviews were saying, well, it's basically, you know, a martial arts version of The Last Action Hero. And, 
Yeah, I can really see the similar now because the Forbidden Kingdom goes as far as that it even takes a kid who's a big movie buff of a certain genre and he gets transported into the world, uh, not of not playing up so much on the whole movie world with cliches and everything, but just gets transported back in time with these, you know, real characters into the, this you know martial arts epic. But I mean, that movie it, very similar to this and. Uh, there's so much you could do and i'm not even talking down about the movie when i say this but i had like six or seven ideas pop into my head as i'm watching this saying wouldn't it be great if they did this wouldn't it be great if they did this because the opportunities are endless with what you could do uh who framed roger rabbit might have been mm. i guess the only thing that really preceded this that kind of did something similar about you know a, a fictional world inside a real world or sharing worlds uh and i kept thinking a lot about you know how over the top roger rabbit went and this movie there's almost times where I'm like, I wish you'd gone a little bit more over the top or, you know, maybe pulled back on some of those things because it doesn't always mix well. But the biggest thing I had coming out of this, like, I-, I knew this was a clever plot. I didn't realize they pulled it off as well as they did. And this is not a movie that deserved the reputation of being a bomb or the beginning of the end of Schwarzenegger's career because I would hold this up there not among, like, the very best Schwarzeneggers, but it's pretty close to, like, the top of the second tier. Mm, I, and I would definitely agree with that, because, like, when I think of my favourite Arnie movies, this and True Lies are up there for me, and mm-hmm. they're just they're just a, gr- a great mix of, of comedy and action and just the self-awareness that this film has, and just, you know, we, we have to do True Lies eventually, because it's just such yeah. a good film as well. Um, but even, you know, you mentioned, obviously, uh, John McTeen and, you know, man behind Die Hard, the director, but even sort of the writers behind this one as well, uh, Shane Black, <laughs> of course, I guess what is probably known, now known best for Iron Man 3, maybe, would you say? I don't know. Um, but yeah, one of the, the writers. Predator. Yeah, the new Predator, of course, uh, wrote Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon 2, which I think is, you can tell, because, I mean, there's there's elements to... I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen the Lethal Weapon movies, but obviously, you know, a great mixture of, of comedy and, and action with those as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and David Arnott, um, a good biscuit, Arnott's Biscuit, very uh, proud Australian company, which I think are owned by Americans now, but whatever. Um, he, I'm reading here, he also produced voices in Happy Feet 2 and Finding Dory. So not only can he write, <laughs> he can do voices in children's movies. Good for him. Um, and we also have William Goldman, two-time Academy Award winner, uh, for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and All the President's Men. Very similar movies. What? To, um, to this. Uh, uncredited, apparently, uh, as a, as a screenplay writer on this film. But, uh, did you get the elements of, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in no. this movie? I, I definitely did. I mean, that's... That's almost like finding out that Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin's co- collaborator on, you know, Godzilla 1998 was like Orson Welles or something. <laughs> he, he wrote the, uh, the Hamlet scene. To be yeah. or not to be. Not to be. Not to be. <laughs> All right, I don't want to be credited for that, guys. Thanks, everyone. Uh, I'm off. And also, this is the very first time that, uh, Arnie was an executive producer, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So. Yeah. Bit of, bit of, um, you know, inclusion there further for, for Arnie, but, um, I think we should probably get into this. Austin O'Brien, do you, and are we going to spend the whole two hours bagging this kid out? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he's terrible, but he's, you know, you can see why he's not exactly a household name now. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I thought that it was one of the other kids. Like, I thought this was a kid from Free Willy, to be honest. <laughs> and then I watched the movie. I'm like, no, that's not Free Willy. Um, 
I'm kind of surprised that, that he didn't go anywhere. Not that he's great in this movie, but uh, like it's a major role in a major movie, and I guess he can kind of hold his own against uh, Schwarzenegger. I mean, he he didn't disgust me. I, I've seen much worse kids in uh, movies very <laughs> recent to this recording, uh, i.e., Hocus Pocus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that, and I think I'm just I'm being an idiot because like, I am a big fan of. My Girl, yes, hello, I'm still a male, um, and it's also <laughs> My Girl 2, and although My Girl Sorry, 2 doesn't, mean to laugh. doesn't hold a candle to My Girl, but uh, I mean, My Girl 2- He was in Prehysteria! Yes! Of course he was! Did you ever see that movie? No, I didn't. <laughs> it was, I don't know, it, it was a cheap straight-to-video, one of these movies that's capitalizing on Jurassic Park success, so let's put kids and dinosaurs in a world together. It was, it was cheap entertainment, but I love that movie, that one was fun. Kind of like the Oz Network, just cheap entertainment. Um, but he's also yeah. apparently the lawnmower man. He, this is credited as his first film. So what is he, like a background kid? And I'm reading here, he was credited in Apollo 13 and as Wiz Kid, and that some sources suggest that the scene was dropped and he does not actually appear. So I have no idea. And I do actually va- vaguely remember him being in ER. He was in an episode of ER, so... Um, oh, you know what? We're not you're missing out here, Colin. Touched by an angel. Of course he was in that. Oh, what a show. <laughs> Coming soon to Random Rewatch Week. I, I'm pretty sure in 2018 that's going to be renamed something else because I'm sure there'll be a couple of lawsuits after that. Uh, if it's touched by an angel, it's probably a bit uh, not appropriate anymore. Um, but we get into this film and... Straight away, we uh into the action. And this is what's so good about this is that, I guess, straight away, we're kind of in a Jack Slater movie. We're not actually seeing the, the real world as such. So we've got this outlandishly over-the-top action scene from, what is it, Jack Slater 3. Um, we have people complaining about it's one hell of a way to uh, spend Christmas. There's people being thrown off the roof. And here comes Arnie. We've got about a hundred cop cars and this standoff of these kids being held hostage on the roof by this madman. <laughs> just Arnie stepping over all the cars. <laughs> and just the music that boom, boom, as he gets there. And then we meet the boss for the first time. Slater! It's like, you walk over in there, you're gonna, I'm gonna have your badge! And he just throws his badge at <laughs> So funny. Uh, we get random Tina Turner. Uh, just <laughs> I just love the random cameos in this film. Yeah. It's so funny. It's just, there's such blink and you miss moments. And then we just, we lead into, I guess, a huge play on the one line as he goes up to this guy, you want to be a farmer? He's a couple of acres and kicks a guy in the balls. (laughs) Storms up to the roof and we've got a standoff. We've got a creepy guy here uh, called the Ripper, isn't he? And he's holding um, his kid hostage. And we basically get this over-the-top rescue scene where the axe flies, nearly hits Arnie in the head. And we don't obviously get to see exactly what happens here on the roof because we then realise we're watching a movie... And we've got our main protagonist, Danny Madigan. He is uh, apparently just a little shit who never goes to school and hangs out in seedy old movie theaters in the most crime-ridden city in the world in 1993 in New York. It's a porn district. Let's just say it. Everything <laughs> else around there is a porn shop or a porn theater. And here he is hanging out with drunken bums and drug addicts and an old man who falls asleep <laughs> while putting on a movie. Um, but he essentially, the, the, the projector is bung. He goes up and tells off, uh, this old guy, 
again, would we have this movie in 2018 of a little kid hanging out with an old man? Probably not. Um, and he gets invited to come see the new Jack Slater 4 that's coming out in a week. What a, what a world 1993 was when you have to have a movie projectionist go, you do know that the new Jack Slater 4 is coming out this week, right? Like, <laughs> again, if this is a millennial, uh, duh, I've been following it on Instagram and Twitter and I've seen all the previews and the trailers and now it's just a case of come here at midnight and you can watch this film. It's a bit back to the futurey, you know, doc, like come here at this time, like, you know, mm-hmm. something's going to happen. Yep. Okay. And uh, good for him. And he goes to school only four hours late uh, because in 1993, what great world it was that you could rock up to school four hours late to watch Hamlet and not even uh, be suspected uh, of anything. And he, I guess, goes into a bit of a dream state here where he sees his own version of Jack Slater, uh, a.k.a. Arnold Schwarzenegger, as um, Hamlet. And <laughs> great to be or not to be. Not to be. Uh, the only ever time you'll see Arnold Schwarzenegger read Shakespeare. Oh, it's so good. Um, and just before we go to the next bit too, um, a nice little trivia bit here, which, uh, I read the teacher in this sequence, Joan Plow, is it Plowright? Um, who I think I'd best know her from, uh, burning down the house. Dennis Dennis. Yeah, Dennis the Menace, yes, yes. Oh, I think you said Dennis the Menace. Well, that too. I completely forgot she was in that as well. Um, so she has that line there where she mentions, like, you may recognise Laurence Olivier uh, as being in this, or even, the, was it the Visa commercial? Uh, that's actually uh, Laurence Olivier's widow. Um, she was married to him. Huh. So there's a bit of a trivia uh, thing for you there. Um, good for them. Um, and what I'll do is I'll just go back up here to... He's back home. He's watching Wile E. Coyote. We meet his mum who's the most lovable mum in the world because she's essentially blaming him for everything. And do you think I made this decision to be a widow? Like, Jesus Christ, woman. Like, leave this kid alone. He's obviously lost his dad. Like, stop going off at him. She goes off to work and uh, the most dangerous neighbourhood in the world because don't open this door for anyone. Lock this door. Uh, and essentially he opens it for two seconds and gets um, attacked. What sort of neighbourhood is this in New York City? Um, he's about to sneak out to go see this movie, and yes, he has a guy break into the apartment, and essentially this leads him to go to a police station to report this guy, and then go to the movie theatre, because all timing works well in this movie for our hero, uh, Danny. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a fun start, where we're kind of getting, getting used to this world in which this little kid is... Huge movie buff. He's basically us in 1993. Uh, he's just mm. going to the movies all the time, seeing the same movie over and over and over again in creepy, seedy theatres and uh, dreaming about Arnold Schwarzenegger being Hamlet. Pretty standard 1993 <laughs> life, if you ask me. I mean, that was my life, wasn't it yeah. yours? Yeah, I mean, I was six, you know, yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't know. Um. First, I just want to say, uh, if people haven't seen this movie or if you haven't seen it in a long time, the fact that as you're running through all the stuff that happens in the Jack Slater world, this over-the-top action movie, that you know it, it feels like this is a complete parody. But what's surprising is this movie has like one of the most delicate balances you could imagine for this type of movie. I mean, Galaxy Quest was very similar that it when you're watching the Galaxy Quest TV show or things like that – they weren't going so far that it's like, well, this is a parody of Star Trek. 
uh, it just felt like it was a funny tribute to it, and that's kind of what this feels like because you're saying things like the, the cheesy one-liners he has, and you know the 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 farmer with the acres kicking the guy in the balls. And whenever you do see action in these movies, they go just a little bit further. They don't go so far over the top where he like kicks the guy in the balls and he flies over a building, <laughs> but he definitely goes about six or seven feet back. You know, it's 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 a little bit too much where you realize that this is supposed to be making fun of the genre but they're also very true to the genre and that, that's what i loved with this opening that i didn't expect uh you know i thought that this would be uh something where it's completely making fun of action movies like like a mcbain on mm. uh this is very similar to like mcbain on the <laughs> simpsons uh but this felt like the end of a lethal weapon movie and I think there's a lot of, you know, Shane Black in here. There's a couple of little lethal weapon moments they have throughout. Even the opening here of the, him taking these kids hostage. I mean, it's basically the way that, uh, Mel Gibson's character is introduced in the first lethal weapon where he, uh, well, not his full introduction. His full introduction, he tries to put a gun in his mouth, but <laughs> the, the cheerful introduction when he goes to a school and they're, you know, shooting a bunch of kids and he just walks up there with no regard for himself, you know, takes a guy down. It's just, it felt like this was, one of those classic like Dirty Harry or Lethal Weapon movies or, you know, something that uh, Schwarzenegger would have done. Um, I kind of wanted to see this movie. And I, I thought even this way John McTiernan directed it, like he directed it as if he was doing the climax for his own movie, not this is just a cheap open. Uh, the Jack Slater world seems fun. Like I want to see Jack Slater one through four and I'm hoping <laughs> that they get to five with Hammer doing the soundtrack too, because I think that would really be good. Um, the old man character, I mean, Let's be honest, when you see him walking out of this theater, which, by the way, the fact is there's about six people in that theater. This was the opening weekend of The Last Action Hero in movie theaters around the world. Uh, we heard that this movie filmed right up to the last minute. They made sure to include the opening weekend crowds in there. Uh, but when he walks up and you basically see it's like it's like a crack house, this movie theater. Uh, that old man's not sleeping upstairs. Like that old man is stoned out of his mind right now. He's part of the neighborhood. <laughs> uh, but he is fun. This guy, uh, he's appeared in a ton of things. The only thing I can think of off the top of my head right now is Mrs. Doubtfire. Am I missing yeah. something else? Uh, Robert else Prosky, I'm looking at that too. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I know I'm straight away from Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, he was in Gremlins 2. Um, he was oh, in yeah. um, 1992's Hoffa. Uh, <laughs> he had a recurring role on Veronica's Closet. I know how much you love that show. Uh, <laughs> I think maybe that's where you know him from best. <laughs> he's dead I'm now. Sure there's sadly, many other, but uh, yeah, good things. Yeah, no, he's um, uh, he's had pretty pretty substantial career. Uh, you know, he worked right up until he died in 2008. So Robert Prosky, yeah, yeah. I but I, I, I would assume that people of our age would best know him from Mrs. Doubtfire as well. Same year as this movie too. Yeah, yeah big year. He did one failed one highs and lows. Did well, <laughs> so good for him. Uh, I I love the dream sequence, the Hamlet dreams. I didn't see that coming. There's there's I think for the most part, I kind of knew what this movie would be like. I didn't realize that some of the action scenes would be as thrilling as they would be. Um, I didn't realize one of the twists that comes at the end was actually going to come up where a few moments this movie actually caught me off guard. I'm like, ooh, that's actually really good. This was one of them. Like the Schwarzenegger does Hamlet. Uh, is there any better quote in any Arnold Schwarzenegger movie ever than something's rotten in the state of Denmark, Hamlet is taking out the trash? <laughs> That is the ultimate Schwarzenegger quote ever. Uh, we need some, like, Schwarzenegger as Hamlet memes or something. Like, I'm surprised that this movie hasn't caught on more. 
and then the whole police station. Okay, so this kid gets home. Like, we get that he skipped school. You know, his mom's upset about this. And she basically says, now promise me you're not going to sneak out of the house again. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't know that he's been invited to this movie at midnight in a private theater with an old man who's <laughs> high on something. I'm sure she'd be a little more concerned. I guess she does know he's hanging out with this old man, and she's kind of concerned with that. Uh, but... But it's the innocent it's age, just like, again, isn't it? Like, what, only eight years previously in Back to the Future, it's like, oh, you're just hanging out with that old creepy Doc yeah. Brown. It's all good. You go off and be there, you little ruffigan. And even the same time period, you know, the Karate Kid, you have a 16-year-old boy with a 60-year-old man. That that It it was a genre in itself, the little boy with the old man genre. Are we, are we just, I, think <laughs> we, it's, I think it's our problem, though, Colin. I think we just live in that day and age now where we're seeing this as a bad thing. I mean, not all old men and little boys. is going to be a pedophilic <laughs> relationship. Come on. Well, <laughs> well, but this movie definitely makes more questions. I mean, in Back to the Future, hey, I want you to go, you know, uh, check on my dog, feed my dog. <laughs> Here, hey, do you want to sneak out of the house at midnight and watch, you know, an exclusive movie in a private theater? You know, with I'll give you free popcorn. It's a little bit creepier in this one than it is in Karate Kid. Or Put Back a couple of the roofies future, in say. that uh, popcorn for you. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Jack Slater 5. Like, this is where, yeah. where Jack Slater goes back to his world. This is where the plot comes from for Jack Slater 5. <laughs> Child molester movie projectionist. <laughs> um, I, another thing that kind of caught me off guard in the wrong way, where I, and this isn't, again, being critical of the movie, but thinking they really could have gone somewhere with this. When you see him imagining the Hamlet in his head, uh, when, you know, he's trying to sneak out, and that guy all of a sudden chains him up. I was thinking this was him imagining himself in a Jack Slater movie. And then they'd bring this back in the end like a Wizard of Oz thing. Oh, it was real, but maybe it was a dream or maybe it wasn't. Uh, they didn't go that direction. It was a real thing, I guess, just showing how bad his neighborhood is. But there's a big problem I have here with the time per- period. Because you see him look at the clock right before he tries to sneak out. And it's like 11.16. So the guy chains him up, searches the entire apartment, realizes there's nothing to steal leaves the key in the toilet the kid retrieves the key from the toilet unlocks himself goes down to the police station files a report the police station contacts his mother the mother says go home by yourself by the way this is the worst mother in the world (laughs) the kid has just been held at knife point in his own home gone to the police station itself she just sends him home and it's now 10 to 12 (laughs) so approximately 34 minutes has passed (laughs) It's such a crime-ridden New York. Uh, the police w- force worked very effectively uh, in 1990. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Mr. Policeman, a guy just held me a knife point and threw the key in the toilet and you know, uh, stole everything and my mom's nowhere to be seen. Okay, okay, let me see. Uh, write, it down. write it down on a napkin. All right, I'll file this away. Go see your mom. Bye. But I wonder uh, if this right is one kid. of the, the deliberate bits where they, they deliberately make continuity errors. Kind of as a it bit could of a be. parody of the the genre itself, where there is ridiculousness around a lot of times. So this could be one of them. I don't know. And that's one of the things I appreciate about this movie is that there's a lot of things that your average audience is going to get, like the the, the scene that's going to come up where the daughter all of a sudden comes up in a monster truck and is like, "Hey, I got to change your clothes here." <laughs> and the kid's like, "That's really convenient timing." Any audience member is going to get that. There's other things in here that you're only going to get if you're a fan of the genre. Like, you know, another lethal weapon moment that's going to be coming up when he sees Jack Slater 4. And then there's other things where only after you sit down and do a podcast, you're like, I think that was intentional. And right now, Schwarzenegger's like, I never 
thought of that, but he looks so much smarter. I can just imagine Arnold sitting there on his computer. How do I download the podcast with Last Action Hero? <laughs> oh, these boys are so smart. Yes, that totally was intentional. Ha ha ha. I just want to see Schwarzenegger trying to download a podcast. Oh, this would be so easy if Maria was still here, but I don't know how to use these computers. Why did I bang the nanny? Now I can't listen to the podcast. Damn it. You did tease this would just be two hours of Schwarzenegger impressions. We're living up to it here. It's take, we, we just thought we'd warm up into it, you know, take about half an hour before we start giving it. Why are these boys not impersonating me? It's the only reason I listen to the podcast. <laughs> Something rotten in the state of Denmark. <laughs> Hamlet is taking out the trash. To download or not to download? Not to download. <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't think we've covered the, the the Jack Slater four yet, have we? No, no. I yeah, just okay. right up. To the I'll leave you. But yeah, I mean, I, I like that the movie kind of has me, and it seems. You know, maybe like overanalyzing a bit, but having that moment, and I don't know if you had the same reaction or if you could remember seeing this the first time having the reaction when the guy breaks into the apartment thinking that, well, this is already him imagining himself in the dream world or whatever. Uh, but it was enough of a swerve where there were other things I questioned throughout the rest of the movie. I'm like, oh, is this just them playing tricks like they did earlier? No, I don't think I've ever thought about it that way. So, um, oh, you, okay. you have, you have opened my, uh, viewpoint to it. Um, Yes, but no, I, I never thought about that way. One thing that I think, you know, I always like pointing out things that date movies is with this guy when he's, you know, robbing him and he's like, oh, you don't even have a VCR. Like, ooh, <laughs> VCR. <laughs> so that's a high commodity price in 1993. <laughs> I just want to see rifling through, like, rifling through the mom's, you know, the mom's cabinet. It's like, ugh, eight tracks. <laughs> I can just see that now, like they remake this movie in 2018. Oh, you've only got a VCR. I can't get anything for that. You don't even have, you don't even have a Chromecast. What's going on? Um, DVDs? I can't even get rid of these at pawn shops anymore. <laughs> so, uh, we're at the movie theatre and here we are. We're about to see Jack Slater 4 and we get introduced to this ticket because apparently you need to have a ticket to get into this film. And so the whole premise, I guess, around this is that he has a golden ticket that was given to him by Harry Houdini because our dear old Nick wanted to be a magician. Of course he did. So uh, <laughs> apparently Harry Houdini just carried around golden tickets and he's held on to this forever. And now is the right time to give this ticket to uh, Danny, because why not? It's Jack Slater 4. So he rips it in half, puts half the stub in the little ticket box, which will come into play later, and gives the other half to Danny. So here we go. We're being introduced to what is going to be literally the ticket for him to get into the movie world. We also find out that um, Nick has never used this. He didn't want to use it in case, you know, Houdini was a liar all this time. And, of course, it's like, oh, but what if he was telling the truth? Ooh. Um, but we are into this ginormous... This is the biggest cinema I've ever seen. I know he mentions that it used to be a yeah. theatre because he said he saw Harry Houdini here, but this is like a two-level theatre. Um, and yet nobody goes to it? Like, this is cool. I want to go to that, um, see a movie. Uh, we see the beginning of Jack Slater 4. We've got our first real taste of this soundtrack. I think it's Metallica playing in the background. It's, it's a really good, um, soundtrack actually that's, uh, that's got a lot of songs. It's not Metallica. I'm looking here at the soundtrack. Uh, ACDC, Alice in Chains, Megadeth, 
all our favourite bands, right? Uh, I don't see any uh, Madonna on this soundtrack, so maybe that's probably why I'm not uh, knowing any of the songs straight away. Um, and we learn about that this movie, we're going to meet his favourite second cousin. Uh, <laughs> Slater's favourite second cousin. Incidentally, played by legendary Art Carney in his final ever film role. There you go. <laughs> There's a there's a trivia night question for you. What was Art Carney's last ever movie role? Um, and we have uh, what is it straight away? Oh, he goes into the house, doesn't he? Um, hmm. Yeah, so he goes into the house. Oh no, we meet Mister Bennett. What am I? I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Scene. We've got this whole sort of. Uh, we meet this Italian Sicilian guy. I don't even know what his name is, and he's. Uh, uh, basically questioning, uh, his second cousin. We meet Mr. Benedict for the first time, uh, and he's got this creepy target glass eye and shoots the target next to him. All this threatening, very typical action movie, you know, laying out all these plans and trying to get Jack Slater involved and all sort of, uh, gonna be a ruse. And we get the house of Jack Slater where these cops are about to enter it. And they're basically like, we've got a tip off that there's a drug bust. And it's like, no, this is this is the house of my favorite second cousin. The only drugs he's got in there is uh, what does he say, like Advil. And if you touch that door, you'll need them. <laughs> and what is he? Um, what is the bit where he says, like, what do you want? Sixty guys dancing on the lawn, throwing cocaine at each other. Why have I written down that quote? Yeah. Um, Oh, well, I because they're it. saying it's a drug bust. Right, that's it, that's it. So Arnie walks into the house. As you know, we're only going to call him Arnie because that's where we're going to go to eventually. Yeah. Um, and his favourite second cousin um, lays out the plan that Tony Vivaldi is joining forces and he dies right in front of him. And there's a note on his chest that says Slater and it's got five, four, three. It's a bomb! <laughs> and he runs out, the house explodes. And it's kind of, it's clever because it keeps cutting uh, to Danny in the theatre watching it and, you know, I guess speaking the mind of an audience where essentially he's like, you know, oh, he's okay, just a few minor wounds, both cops dead. Uh, yeah, the know, other cops are dead. Yeah, every single time we watch an action movie, I think everybody's like this. Um, and we see, of course, that he's basically correct. Arnie's okay. One of the cops is in the tree. And I don't know if this is the lethal weapon moment you're talking about yeah. when he's in the tree. He's like, <laughs> only two days to retirement. <laughs> <laughs> and this essentially leads us into a, a great car chase where a, a car shows up with these guys with all these guns and TNT dynamite throwing up. And it's at this point, the ticket starts to glow. And Danny finds a bomb that gets thrown into the cinema, and then that essentially causes him to run towards the screen, and he is in in the back of the car with Arnold slash Jack Slater, and he has been um, sucked into the movie, essentially. But we get some great moments here of action just over the top when he throws the bomb and blows up the ice cream truck, and then one guy gets, like, murdered in the back of the head with an ice cream cone. And I, what does he actually say? He says something like, oh, that's cold, or something. Um, oh, I've that got guy. it written down here. I'll find it. He's like, I iced that guy. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> something like that. And then we just have, like, these great moments when he drives off the bridge into the sewer section, which, you know, obviously famous from so many movies. Grease, but Terminator 2, the most recent Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. movie as well. He's driving on Coke trucks, a bit of product placements. Um, and just, it's you mentioned before about how they don't go out of their way to have, like, the most 
outrageous parodies of the the moments like you know you said if he kicked that guy he doesn't fly like 10 buildings far mm-hmm. but there still is a little bit like there's a bit when he drives up the the ramp and he kind of goes so high into the sky um and then just the explosions as well and the parking scene when he kind of like reverses into that tiny little crack and um then basically <laughs> Wait, when the car turns on the two wheels you mean yeah yeah oh no but the bit when he like reverses into that parking spot Oh, yeah, right at the end. The, the way he kind of, like, does that. And then drives out slowly and puts a bomb in the bin and that guy blows up with his legs dangling out. Um, it's just it's just so much fun. And just even how casual he is when he sees this kid in the back of the car. It's like, who are you? And this is, of course, where Danny realises that he's in the movie. So it's a fun little setup and just great little action sequence, which, again, the way they kind of play it off the real world versus the movie world, and pretty much now for the majority of the film, we are going to be purely in the movie world at this point. But um, it's fun. Like, I just, I love the way they kind of do this, even though it's like, well, a magic ticket from Houdini? And this is, this is literally how they go? At least they explain it. It's not... Groundhog Day, where you never get an explanation as to why he he lives the same day over and over again. Um, what this movie does lack is uh, any type of logic to how this ticket works, because there's yeah. going to be so many <laughs> plot holes coming up. Uh, even just the idea that uh, you know, the movie productions guy's name's Nick, you said? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Nick says later on in the movie, I was too afraid to use this ticket. He doesn't really give a choice to the kid here does he no <laughs> like because if the ticket is activated simply by being ripped in half he basically rips it in half for the kid so like what if this thing like what if this was something to be feared like he has killed a kid now just out of his own curiosity <laughs> what if he's watching he godzilla really is- 1998 and he got crushed by godzilla yeah exactly it's just I don't know. This this old, this is a very irresponsible old man. I'm very concerned for our kid here. Oh, what if it was um, like as you said, like an adult theater, and he just puts on a porn film? It's like a gangbang yeah. movie, and here he is gets sucked into it with this little but also, kid. <laughs> I mean, this is supposed to be like you know uh, a send up of Lethal Weapons, Die Hard's, Dirty Harry's, uh, anything Schwarzenegger been in. These are all R-rated action movies. Mm. Why did he say of all movies for the kid to try it out with this? Here, kid, I want you to go inside this violent world of drugs and well, crime. I think this is meant to be a PG-13 movie, though, and I think that's kind of what they do later on when but, he tries to get him to say the swear word. So maybe that's, like, the, even, the difference. Even as a PG-13 movie, I mean, let's, let's look at all the things that Nick suggests later on. It's like, I want to be in a Marilyn Monroe movie. <laughs> Like, there's no point where he's like, I want to be in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and you know, get shot by cowboys or something. It's just, he seems really okay with this being tried out for the first time, not knowing what's going to happen when he, we know he's been afraid of this for decades with a kid in a drug land. It's just really, oh, this, this, I, I love him as a character, but, uh, this guy is no, uh, Mr. Miyagi. He is no Doc Brown. Uh, he has some sinister things going on in his head. But this, again, the Jack Slater movie, I'm watching this and thinking to myself, you know, if I were this age, would I have freaked out to see this? Like, if somebody said to me, cause Die Hard was my Jack Slater. I was 10, I think, uh, when Die Hard was on TV one day. And for whatever reason, my mom let me watch it. And I was obsessed with it and it ended up being the first VHS that I ever had that was like my own. You know, we had like VHSs as a family uh, <laughs> where everybody gets to share these movies. But, you know, my mom signed up for one of those movie club things where you get like, you know, 
nine movies for a dollar and then you have obligated to buy like 10 more at like outrageous prices <laughs> and she got die hard for me because i loved it so i can imagine you know die hard 2 or die hard 3 coming out and me being like the kid it's like hey do you want your own private screening but i'm watching this thing like this is a good action movie i would pay to see jack yeah. slater for so would i um and especially with just the the uh the thing with the 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 cousin now this is obviously a send up of the whole um you know this time it's personal which i think mm-hmm. i even read that somewhere like they yeah. wanted to be like this time it's personal and eventually you run out of it that kind of makes it a little bit more of a parody and and that's what i like about this because if they had made this the third one where it's his son you know where do you go from there and this kind of immediately separated it as being a comedy again, even though what you're watching is a straight action movie. There are moments that are fun, but then again, there's fun. Like Jamie was talking about Schwarzenegger uh, being a very versatile actor, as she said. <laughs> what? Jamie, you seen the movie without Schwarzenegger? What versatility does he have? <laughs> I mean, I was I was talking about Last Action Hero, and she goes, you know what I like about Schwarzenegger is he's very versatile. I'm like, What? <laughs> And she goes, well, think about it. He can do, you know, action stuff like Conan, Terminator, and then he can do funny stuff like Kindergarten Cop. I'm like, yeah, but even his action movies are still funny. He's just, he's always himself. But I just thought it was funny. She thought he was versatile. Yep. <laughs> the most versatile actor in Hollywood. Yes. Um, Stop Bradley Cooper in The Star Is Born. We should have seen Arnold Schwarzenegger in that one. <laughs> you know, sidebar here. Sidebar here for a second. Uh wasn't it like King Lear or something that had the Lost World poster of Arnold Schwarzenegger and King Lear? Mm, yes, yes, it was. Yes, when they drive. Yeah, through there the, we go. Yeah. Hey, he did do Shakespeare after that. It became a thing. Uh, but anyways, this Jack Slater four, you know, having it be like the second cousin, even he walks up as my favorite second cousin. You know that this is a send up, but like still the action's good. Like. I love this car chase, even if they do go so over the top where it's like, well, that would never actually happen. You know, the ice cream chuck and everything. Um, and also just another thing that's kind of questionable here, you know, Art Carney, his second cousin, this guy looks like he could be his great grandfather. I don't know <laughs> how they're that closely related. This is a cousin of his. Uh, obviously, this movie's just full of cameos and they wanted to do that. But I mean, I would buy... You know, I don't know, like Tina Turner maybe as a second cousin, not Art Carney. Uh, when the cops get... <laughs> Wait, hang on. Tina Turner is a second... How does that work? <laughs> oh, come on. How do you... How does that work? A white man and a black woman have never bred before, Ben? I don't know. I'm Australian, all right? We're racist, all right? Just leave me alone. <laughs> You're from Australia. They're racist down there. How does that work? I don't I'm in know. New Zealand the now. I'm being don't... educated about the ways of the world, okay? Just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I know that the white man has the penis, and the white woman has the penis, but what does a black woman have? <laughs> We're teaching the birds and the bees of interracial breeding to Ben Waterworth. <laughs> okay, let's... Hey, I never knew I that when Tina Turner was singing What's Love Got to Do With It, it was about an interracial love affair that made Arnold Schwarzenegger a second cousin. There we go. <laughs> was, I don't know, it was Schwarzenegger's Nazi dad or something. <laughs> that's a, that's a movie coming like soon. <laughs> the secret love affair during Nazi Germany that wouldn't have been allowed. Tina Turner's great-grandmother and Arnold Schwarzenegger's whatever that would make him his cousin. Coming soon to movies. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, in Goldeneye, when he said that, like, I watched him in the shadows as a child. That's about learning about Arnold as a child. That's that's my second cousin. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> move on, please. Anyways, let's move on. <laughs> I still can't go over this. Good. Anyways, let's move on. Uh, so, second cousin here. No, I love what I love the kid too. Like speaking as the audience, because that's like the. Um, that's like the the thing in uh, Galaxy Quest where uh, the countdown clock keeps going even though they disarmed it. And it's like, oh, it always stops at one, you know? Um, and uh, how many other things we saw in like Pleasantville or Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, any of these movies. Uh, just pointing out the obvious to the audience. But th- it's not just the line about the cop in the tree, you know, who's dying saying only two more days to retirement. The music they play there is like this saxophone jazzy music which is the entire score of lethal weapon mm-hmm. you know every time they would have a moment with I'm, I'm too old for this moment or something like that they would have that you know with the die hard later on as well yeah and the funny thing is that i didn't even realize till i watched the end credits the guy who did the score for this movie michael Kamen, same guy that did the music for die hard and lethal weapon mm. uh so i mean I think between John McTiernan and him, I think that's why this feels so authentic as an action movie. Uh, but yeah, this this thing that I have the biggest question on, and I love the, the chase scene. Like I said, I would watch this chase scene. I would put this up against chase scenes in Lethal Weapon or Die Hard or something else. But um, once they get back to the police station, it starts to become, you know, oh, this is a movie set and everything. I don't quite understand the logic behind it because if it was something where – Yet when he's in the Jack Slater world, like the police station and th- everything you would see in the movie, it is like a Jack Slater movie. But then if he goes like a block on the wrong side of the tracks, all of a sudden he's in some other movie, you know, like a Roger Rabbit thing. That would make sense. Just I, I, I never quite could wrap my head around why we would see cartoon cats that come up later on and, and – you know, uh, everybody wearing these weird wardrobes. It's, but it's a fun idea that this kid keeps saying, oh, yeah, this is just like in a movie. And then when they walk into the police station uh, and we see a couple of cameos coming up here, that's kind of fun, too. I think, yeah, I mean, I think probably at the end of the day, he's, I mean, if you got sucked into a movie, the first thing you're probably going to think is like, oh, this is, you know, there's going to be movie sets and things that end it. It's kind of like, um, isn't it Pleasantville where they get their, like, what's at the end of the road? Like, oh, nothing. Like, no one yeah. ever leaves town. Like, it's so it's kind of... So- yeah. Um, so I think kind of maybe that's just a bit of an awareness moment where he assumes this, but then he realizes he's in a fully fledged world and where, yeah, like when we get to this cartoon cat where I guess that's the point of it is that like, oh, you know, come on, there's a cartoon cat there. It's like, no, that's whiskers. He's great. And apparently I don't know what accent that was. That was not Arnold. That was like Russian Arnold. <laughs> that was the second cousin of Tina Turner from Schwarzenegger's <laughs> accent. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I see your point, but I think maybe, yeah, it's just, it's deliberately put in there so we realize that it's going to be more than movie sets and this is just a world world as such. So, um, I don't know. Maybe it's one of these, Arnold's listening to us right now going, yes, they, they picked off the mistake that they're putting there deliberately. Oh, they're so smart. Maria, where are you? <laughs> Were there real intentional continuity errors or is this something where when everybody started picking up these continuity errors like, no that was deliberate you got the joke <laughs> you're so smart you're the first person to understand our deliberate continuity errors <laughs> oh and we, okay 
I can't believe we skipped this. When they're in the car chase and he gives the line about uh, you're going to live to enjoy all of the fruits of life has to offer like acne, shaving, premature ejaculation <laughs> and your first divorce. <laughs> Is that the edgy sort of like adultness towards a teenager in like 1993? <laughs> Isn't that the part where he goes, what's premature ejaculation? <laughs> <laughs> Where you see when I was with my babysitter, I'm a nanny. <laughs> Nick sitting up there in the theater, it's like I got him just where I want him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I show you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we get to the oh, cop station. No. And this is where you mentioned a couple of great cameos, which are really like blinking. You miss. I think, I mean, the Robert Patrick one's kind of obvious. I think it's a Sharon Stone one, which is kind of, you've actually got to go back and have a bit of a look at it. So as they're walking into the police station, um, featuring what is it? LAPD, um, valet parking. <laughs> Because of course they had that. Um, you see, as you were walking, uh, past, you've got, um, Sharon Stone as, uh, was it Catherine Trammell from Basic Instinct? Is that her character? And, uh, then we have Robert Patrick as a T-1000, both sort of right outside the, uh, the police station, which I think is really, really cool because I was reading about Sharon Stone, who didn't really have the best relationship with Arnold Schwarzenegger on Total Recall. Um, that he kind of talked her into it and was basically like, hey, you know, Total Recall helped start your movie career. You should totally come on this thing with it. So, and again, with the cameos, like, it's literally what, like, barely a second of screen time of them just yeah. being on screen. And, I mean, imagine, just think of the, the, the logistics of them coming in on set, dressing up as this famous character to be a blink and you miss cameo. I, I mean, I think that's, that's great. And even with Robert Patrick, cause he did a similar thing in Wayne's World 2, was it? That he kind of mm-hmm. was the T-1000 again. So, I mean, I think generally Robert Patrick is best known for that role anyway. So he's got to live up to it. But, um, yeah, I just think there's clever little cameos that you see there. Uh, then we're in this police station and just the outlandish world that they live in that all the women are dressed in some sort of bondage outfits. <laughs> like, that's what women police wear in movie world 1993. Uh, we meet, uh, what is he, like a fellow cop of um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, F. Murray Abraham, uh, <laughs> who, who, of course, Academy Award winner from Amadeus, and I love the bit when he's like, be careful of him, no, trust him, he killed Mozart. <laughs> And it's just like, what? Who's Mozart? Um, and then we hear another, Slater! <laughs> what is the, what is the boss's name? Does he have a name? I don't know. Chief? Let's Chief. just call him Chief. <laughs> Chief. Uh, Chief yelling at him. The, the window breaks and he's there yelling at Slater as we kind of get throughout this whole film. And this is where Danny's still trying to say, like, you guys are in a movie, you guys are in a movie. Look over there, there's an animated cat. Yeah. <laughs> and we see an animated cat grabbing a woman's ass, voiced by Danny DeVito. Um, oh. It just... took me till halfway through the movie to realise that. Uh, it's just, it's just so funny that, like, this is a setup, that this is the most outlandish thing you could think of in a, in a real life situation, that a cartoon cat is getting partnered with somebody in a police force, and just wait, like, come on, there's a cartoon cat! And it's like, that's Whiskers! He's so good! <laughs> that was one of my best men! Oh, it's so funny. And then you have sort of, uh, Danny here saying that these two actually love each other, cause in the first Jack Slater, you did this, and I just love this exchange there. And he's like, you know, in Jack Slater 1, what's winning got to do with it? No, the first Jack Slater, you told your father? 
<laughs> I just love that little exchange. And, uh, he's, you know, telling all this information. And again, in the movie world, how would this kid know all of this stuff? So they sort of start to question him. Like, we looked up your name in the database. You don't exist. Who are you? Where are you really from? And then he basically just goes along with the plot. Like, oh, I came in from out of town. I did this. I did that. Um, so we then get, apparently they become partners, <laughs> which again is just like the outlandishness of this movie. Where it's like, and he even says that, doesn't he? Like, in what world would I be your partner? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I've just met you and the cops basically like, meet your new partner. Uh, so, and then he's like, oh, look, I'm perfect buddy cop material. I do like kind of how he says that. Uh, and as they're leaving the police station, because they're there essentially saying like, oh, you know, prove, I'll prove that, you know, you're in a movie. Let's go to a movie store, a VHS store. Uh, and then as they drive, I just, I love the, the way they play the driving of, um, Jack Slater's character that he's such a bad driver. So he drives on like the wrong way of the road, then crashes onto the other and side. And you always see like, subtle things in the background where there's just every single car he passes just get driven off the road or flips over. <laughs> yes. And that guy who's like, as he drives past, Slater! Um, and then one of the funniest scenes in the whole movie, uh, when they go to the video store and he's basically like, oh, where's your Schwarzenegger section? Oh, the foreign movies are at the back. No, 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 your action <laughs> section. And then we see this poster for Terminator 2 Judgment Day and it's Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> and Arnold Schwarzenegger's just like, he was great in that movie. And it's like, no, you were in that movie. And then this like super attractive, uh, video store attendant is like, you were in a movie? Yes, it was called The Girl of My Dreams. And it starred you. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's it like, like, oh, what does he do the whole thing? What's the, what's the number of this video store? 555-3231. What's your phone number? 555. Nobody has a number with 555. There's only 999,000 possible combinations. What about area codes? <laughs> <laughs> so funny and then even when like they're walking out and it's like what about this girl over here she's way too attractive to work in a video store you are right she is way too attractive to work in a video store <laughs> oh it's so funny i just want to end it there because i just i just love this whole sequence and maybe one of the most famous bits from this whole movie is because they always you always see the sylvester stallone um terminator 2 poster popping up and i mean it's just it's clever because you know, these two actors at the time, weren't they meant to, like, really hate each other because there's such a strong rival in the 80s? So, you know, here's just an, a small little moment where, at some point, Sylvester Stallone has given the okay for his appearance to appear on this poster as a bit of a send-up. So, yeah, I just think it's it's so clever the way they kind of do this bit as he's trying to prove that he's in a movie, but he's just like, no, you're not in a movie. This is all explained. Yeah, it's interesting now to look at this and realise, like, even though I think... You know, Schwarzenegger and Stallone, that was like the big battle throughout the 80s and the 90s, the two biggest action stars. You know, who sort of came out on the winning end? And I think at this point, it obviously was Schwarzenegger. You know, he had Terminator. Uh, Stallone had Demolition Man. Uh, <laughs> you flash forward a few years, and I remember around the time Batman Robin was coming out, and it was like a widely known fact that uh, Stallone was campaigning hard to play Mr. Freeze in that movie, and that they just gave it to Schwarzenegger, who was like barely even you know trying so like oh no we want schwarzenegger instead then you go forward another decade and 
Stallone is like on top of the world with Rocky, Rambo, and the Expendables all out there, Driven. and Stallone does cameos in uh, or Schwarzenegger <laughs> does cameos in Stallone movies. Uh, now these two guys are joined at the hip, you know, between the Expendables and uh, the um, uh, Escape Plan movie that they did as well. Uh, but it's great. Like there was nobody else you were going to pick for that little moment than uh, Sylvester Stallone. I mean, they we have a cameo later on from Jean Claude Van Damme, but I can't imagine seeing Jean Claude Van Damme as the Terminator. Um, but this world within the world again is such a clever idea, and I don't know if because production was so rushed on this, there are certain things where I feel like they could have gone further in this. Uh, like when you show up and you see all the women just dressed in these unusual outfits and uh the the cat cop like the cat cop again really it makes no sense because we're in the jack slater world the only reason this makes if i said they were out like before if they were outside the police station and you start seeing other movie worlds blending together like an animated world or a comedy world or a sci-fi world uh if they went to certain neighborhoods that would make sense but they're in his police station which i just for the sake of the story makes no sense, but it is so funny to have that moment where they're like, you know, he's one of my best officers. <laughs> and again, I didn't realize that halfway through the movie it was Danny DeVito. You know, I guess Danny DeVito and Schwarzenegger have actually done three movies together now. Mm-hmm. You count this with Twins and Junior. Uh, but it is such a funny idea and just this, this filthy <laughs> cat cop. Um, <laughs> the Chief is one of my favorite characters. Let's call him Chief. <laughs> I, this is another guy that I don't have his filmography in front of me, but I know he's appeared in like a million different things. Uh, and he's the perfect guy to play this. And I did go back and watch some of the subtitled to see, you know, if his lines make sense, because I swear it's intentional with his delivery when he goes off on these rants like he had about, you know, I got the city council chewing my eggs off for that plane you crashed. And then there's the other line about uh, the Dyer Van Frank coming up. I know for a fact he he goes into just gibberish in the middle where he'll be like, you know, the, the city council, like, blah, 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 the diary, frankly, he, he will just start spouting gibberish. And that's what makes it funny because, like, you're never paying attention to what the chief is saying in these movies. It always is just complete nonsense. And I think that's one of the funniest little gimmicks they put in this movie. And I love a movie that will put jokes in there, especially a movie that's not a 100% comedy. This movie is funny, but it is kind of 50% action movie, 50% comedy to go to great lengths to put jokes in there where on multiple viewings you're going to catch it or only if you're really paying attention like that's really clever i love that stuff this guy's just so good uh i want to see a spinoff with him i really want to see the first jack slater with the 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 touching relationship between these two (laughs) and it's also that mcbain thing that they make fun of or even the lethal weapon movies like give me your badge every single time he's just asking for his badge (laughs) Uh, give me your badge and your gun. Like it's such a cliche of these movies, but they're not making fun of it. Like again, this is more a send up of it. It's it's an homage to it. They got you know John McTiernan and Shane Black involved in this, so that's why it doesn't come across as making fun of it. I guess. Uh, what was the next scene after this? Yeah, the, the cameos with the T one thousand, everything. The Sharon Stone Stone ones especially funny because. I thought that was just somebody like they don't make it obvious that's her. You see Robert Patrick's face. I just thought that was supposed to be somebody dressed as like Sharon Stone from Basic Instinct. Uh, but the fact that they actually got her like that is a huge deal. And it is true. I mean, Total Recall was really the first thing she ever did. And her career exploded after that. Um, Total Recall, there's one. That I, I, if I had to pick a favorite short singer movie of all time, it would probably be Total Recall. I mean, up there with Terminator 2. It's been a long time since I've seen that. Long time since I've seen that. Oh, it's 
so good. Well, let's let's do it next week for the 28th anniversary or whatever it is. <laughs> but um, we'll do we'll do remake month where we have to do the original mix with the the remake. Yes. Oh, that would be a great month. Come to think of it, <laughs> that's a clever look at me. Smart every now and then. Yeah, I might not know Footloose. about interracial relationships, but uh, I'm not doing a remake yeah. of Footloose. That's that's offensive to Kevin Bacon, right? Him and I are friends well, Total now. Recall, Colin, Total Recall Colin Farrell is offensive to Arnold Schwarzenegger or Ron Schweiger been or mentioned in about 10 years, so he might need the extra publicity. Yeah. Hang, hanging out with Ryan Filippi somewhere or something like that. Josh Hartnett. <laughs> Let's just start our list of guys. Let's all hang out at the same, um, like, mid-2000s house somewhere. We were famous once! Yeah, with Freddie Prince Jr. and... Uh, <laughs> who's the Malcolm in the Middle kid? <laughs> Frankie Muniz. <laughs> Meanwhile, Frankie next door at 90s house, Austin O'Brien. I was in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Along with the, the cast of Family Matters. <laughs> I want to see it there. There, let's let's expand on this world, and we'll have like you know the '90s house with uh, the cast of Boy Meets World and Family Matters and Full House, hanging out with Austin <laughs> O'Brien. But like the the cameos in this movie, it showed the power of Schwarzenegger. We're talking about like how big Schwarzenegger was at the time. Who else could have gotten somebody who apparently didn't get along with him, like Sharon Stone, Fran to do Trisha. a movie like this? You know, Robert. Who? Fran Drescher. <laughs> you know, we're getting there eventually. We're in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, like... Oh, Mr. Schwarzenegger, the... I'd love to do your movie. <laughs> I I mean, in the reboot of The Nanny, I hear she's got Austin O'Brien and Frankie Muniz lined up for cameos. <laughs> That's the power of Fran Drescher right there. <laughs> You've um, waited 25 years to see him in something again. Ladies and gentlemen, Austin O'Brien. <laughs> it's the kid from that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, weren't you in Free Willy? <laughs> you know, he actually looks like the the boy from um, Mrs. Doubtfire as well. You know how everybody says, like, um, all oh, those guys... Yeah. Um, like the guy from Baby Driver and the Maze Runner, they all look the same. Like this is the early nineties where all the boys look the same as well. Like, Free Willy kid, Mrs. Doubtfire kid, Last Action Hero kid. The only one who stood how, out was Joseph Mazzello many, in Jurassic Park. You remember what he looks like? How many times do you think Austin O'Brien was walking down, you know, uh, the streets of his neighborhood and there's some Jonathan Taylor Thomas? <laughs> What's Jim Allen like? <laughs> Can you do that scene where the whale jumps over you? That was yeah. great. <laughs> I'll play the whale. Go, Willie, go! <laughs> is Robert Williams as funny in person as he is in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me about Pierce Brosnan. I hear he's James Bond. <laughs> oh, there's a reality show waiting to happen. <laughs> uh, but, like, seriously, think about it. Like, the, the cameos he gets... I thought at this point it's a big deal. Like you, you have somebody like Tina Turner just showing up just for the sake of it. You have Art Carney in his final movie role. You've got Sharon Stone. You've got Robert Patrick. It's going to get bigger from here. And there's nobody else that could have pulled something like this off. And I think that's all the more reason why this got so much criticism for its lack of success. It's not that it wasn't an unsuccessful movie. It's just, you know, look at the power of Schwarzenegger and, and how that he couldn't pull this off. Um, I love the 555 five, five joke because 
it's one of those moments where you know where the kid's going with it as soon as they say five five five. And then when Schwarzenegger says there's area codes, you're like, wait, that's a pretty good point. How come I never thought of that? You know, there's all these nerds at home, you know, who have been for years been like, oh, it's completely unrealistic. The amount of five, five numbers they have who are and all of a sudden like, wait, area codes. Now I get it. Uh, introduce some logic to this movie. Um, have we gotten to the part where they show up at the house yet? The, the no, drug house, the drug dealers? Oh, let's, let's go with that. Then. But yeah, I love the video store scene, uh, and his pickup lines. Uh, I also don't really get the, the transition. This is kind of digging too much into this world, but um, I, I guess we're to believe that this ex-wife of his, that they got divorced in the previous movie, uh, like maybe in between Jack Slater 2 and 3, because they keep bringing up, you'll get back together with your ex-wife. Oh, she's not in the credits. We know some time has passed, but we know later on that like his kid dies hmm. at the end of, like literally the last minute of part three. And naturally, you think if you're going to have a tragic ending like that, you're going to follow up on it. And Jack Slater 4 has now just seen like a little bit insensitive towards his dead son, <laughs> where he's just out trying to pick up chicks all of a sudden uh, and it, cracking the miners. The river of the Jack Slater movie franchise. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> there you go. It was intentional. <laughs> they meant to do that. Exactly. <laughs> we had Blofeld in drag at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Look what the cat drag did. <laughs> Please never bring that up again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of James Bond, can I just point out here? So um, Chief is actually Lieutenant Decker, played by Frank McRae, who, among many film credits, Colin Hilding, played the legendary oh. Sharky in License to At- Kill. <laughs> yes. And he was also, uh, we brought this up in our License to Kill recap, or recap on 007. He also played Spanky, the truck driver, in The Wizard with Fred Savage. And he's also in another parody film of Loaded Weapon 1 in the same year as Last Action Hero. <laughs> and in the uh, very underrated Paul Hogan movie, Lightning Jack. Um, I say underrated. I've seen it once. It wasn't worth seeing again. Uh, <laughs> Paul Hogan is a man with not much range. He's Crocodile Dundee, and basically that's it. Jimmy uh, thought he was very versatile. Yes. So he can play an Australian? That's it? <laughs> so versatile. But yes, yeah, Sharky. Sharky. Um, <laughs> so we're at the house now. Uh, well, not yet. We're going to drive around to look for it. But I do, again, like just sort of the way that Danny's like, oh, I can find the house. It's got a view of the ocean. Um, and then we find, we get to the house. The bad guys are in there. And this is where we get that line at some point when he's like, I'm the famous comedian, Arnold Braunschweiger. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Schwarzenegger, <laughs> Gesundheit. <laughs> um, and they find this house. And this is like, you talk about his great comedic range. Though he's like, oh, you have blown the top off all the policing. All we have to do is drive around and point at the house and go, that's it. The bad guys are in there. You are so smart. Uh, <laughs> and I love the way he knocks on the house with this door and he's like, may I speak to the drug dealer of the house, please? <laughs> One of the best lines of the whole movie. Hello, may I speak to the drug dealer of the house, please? And this guy basically, like, leaves and goes, and then he goes, Arnold goes to walk off. I'll be back. Ha! You didn't know I was going to say that, did you? (laughs) And he's just like, you always say that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and then we we did meet him previously. I kind of gelled over him. We meet the I guess the main antagonist of this film, Benedict. Um, who comes to the door and sort of has this bit of a standoff with him and he's got these Dobermans who makes him do a Doberman pyramid. Um, and then basically, you know, questioning him about this drug deal and then he's got a, a, a glass eye with a, a target on it and he pulls off his glasses and says, have a nice day with a smiley face glass eye and kind of leaves after that. And this obviously is going to set up some things because then we're going to get a scene with Benedict going like, how does he know all about this? You know, let's look into this little kid and all this sort of stuff. Uh, Charles Dance plays Benedict oh, yeah. and uh, a few other people were touted for this role. And one that really stood out, because as soon as I read this, you're like, okay, I can picture that, was Alan Rickman, um, mm-hmm. who apparently was too expensive to get for this movie. <laughs> and allegedly Charles Dance walked around set wearing a T-shirt going that I'm cheaper than Alan Rickman. Uh, but there were some other people, uh, where was I reading that list of other people that were also potentially in, in the line for this role? But Alan Rickman is one, like this guy, is he just Alan Rickman's brother or something? Like, they're so similar. Um, he's, uh, again, there's a lot of actors I'm going to say this throughout the course of the movie, but I know him from Game of Thrones, but I, he's been in a ton of other things. Like, what Mm. else was he in? I have no idea. I I don't watch Game of Thrones, so that was like, oh, okay, he was in that. But um, yeah, I'd have to pull that up in just a second. He's also, apparently the other one that I was thinking of is that Timothy Dalton was also cast as Benedict, mm. but then he replaced him. So there you go. <laughs> we got that hello, old buddy. Um, <laughs> which have I a actually nice day, old buddy. I read in one of the cameo sections that apparently Timothy Dalton is in the premiere bit, but I went back and watched and I could not see him in it once, so I don't know where that bit came from. But, yeah, Charles, I mean, I, I really like the Benedict character. I just think oh, he's such so a great good. villain. Uh, and if we look at his other... Uh, he was in For Your Eyes Only. Um, he was Playing Klaus. Who? He was Klaus. Who was Klaus? Was Klaus? Yeah. Was he a random bench- henchman or something like that? Or don't know. He was in Alien 3. There's one. Oh yeah, I remember possibly. that one. Um, he was in Ali G in the house. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Underworld Awakening. Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing he's kind of cast a lot as villains. Um, he is see. amazing on Game of Thrones too. Right. Like maybe okay. one of the best actors on that show. I've yeah never never watched Game of Thrones in my life. So it's, yeah, I've gone to the point where people, so many people told me to watch it. I just kind of don't want to watch it anymore. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so we like Benedict. He's a great villain. Um, and yeah, he's going to find out a little bit more, but then we go back to, uh, Arnold's ex-wife's house. And of course, as you said before, we keep finding out that she's not going to be there because she's not in the credits. And as they open, what's the bit when he, is this a bit where he's like, what, what do they have in the hospital? Patience. What is my jacket doing? Wearing thin. Yes, you'll see. <laughs> I just love the little line that he says there. And as they knock on the house, knock on the door of the house, we meet for the first time Whitney, who kisses uh, Austin O'Brien. A little start. boy. Great start to the movie. Uh, played by uh, Bridget Wilson, who I think may be best known to me as from Billy Madison. But as I'm mm-hmm. reading here, actually married to Pete Sampras and has two sons with him. So there you go. He definitely still came as the world number one many years after he did retired. He play, did he play Tweezy or whatever the name was in this movie as well? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Slight resemblance to Pete Sampras that's, there. Pistol that's Pete. how they got together. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, I'm a bit of a fan here of uh, of the Whitney character. I don't know about you. Um, oh, she's hilarious. This is apparently her first movie, uh, which I think there's kind of a play-out role on the fact, too, when they keep saying, like, oh, it's your first movie. Um, and she kisses him because it's skeezy and some sort of game or something like that. I don't know. I didn't go to Sorority, college. Sorority. Sorority. Yep. So we're in the house of the ex-wife and we get a bit of a scene here where Arnie looks in the drawer and he sees a picture of him and his son and we don't know what's happening here yet until he drives out and we sort of get a flashback to the very first scene we saw in this movie with the ripper on the roof with the kid and we see the full sequence here is that when he threw the axe at him and Arnie shoots him as he's falling back off the roof, he grabs uh, Arnie's son and drags him off the roof and sadly his son dies so uh yeah that's the flashback bit there then we get another knock on the door as we're back in um the ex-wife's house and uh this is where whitney's like that's skeezy and nope it is benedict and he's like his uncle jack about and then we get this uh great sort of hostage held up situation i just love the bit where danny's like if you hurt a hair on her head and he's just like stop and just like rips the hair off again yeah. and breaks it in half. You what? <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, and then we kind of just get this whole big stand up thing when he's essentially saying like, Hey, you can take that money. We saw some money in a drawer before, which Jack Slater said was fake. Um, Benedict knows he's basically trying to trick him, so he gets the money burnt, and as we heard uh, Arnie say before, it burns a different colour, so we get this red smoke burning from the chimney, which alerts Arnie to this when he comes into the house, and we get another knock at the door, and this time it is skeezy. Um, and then sort of distracted, I just love the way, like, Jack Slater jumps down the roof, and Jesse's like, hi, and just starts blowing everybody up. It's so much fun. We also get a fun scene with Whitney, who's kind of... I like the way they sort of start her off as, like, this blonde girl, like, damsel in distress, and she's mm-hmm. screaming and screaming, but then she just basically kicks these guys' asses. <laughs> and then the way they just kind of play up on the whole girl screaming thing, I think it's kind of randomly fun. She's like, ah, boom, 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 ah, kicking ass. Um, we see Arnie get shot, but he's got a bulletproof vest on. And then as he jumps off a roof, he's like, gotta catch the red eye. <laughs> <laughs> he's like chasing after Benedict. Um, then we kind of get the fun bit where Danny decides to jump on a pink bicycle and chase after it, then decides to play chicken with the car, to which halfway through he's like, no, I'm the comedy sidekick. It's not going to work. <laughs> And then it kind of leads into this bit where he jumps over a roof in a similar bit to E.T. when he's got the bike against the moon, crashes through a house and lands on the door, uh, lands on the ground. And then just the way he kind of looks up at Arnie when he gets there. And throughout all this kerfuffle, Benedict's stolen his wallet. He's taken the ticket. Um, and this kind of leads us to a scene back at Benedict's house where he is changing his eye and for the first time he sees that this ticket can do something because he's listening or watching the Twilight Zone, but then he sees that the wall, he can kind of put his arm through the wall at the same time and that is going to lead him to, uh, you know, working out what this ticket can actually do. Um, and I might just end it at the bit here where we're back at the house and the cops are there going through all the evidence through after this shootout. Um, Danny tries to get uh, Arnie to say a swear word. <laughs> it's like, come on, say this. It's like, oh, grow up. It's like, you can't say it because this movie's PG-13. 
Um, <laughs> then we get skeezy. I know, I, I know his number plate. I saw the guy with the missing eye. And then he's like, his eye wasn't missing. He had a fake eye. And he's like, no, his eye was missing. And then they find the eye on the ground to which a cop goes, vengeance is mine and clicks the little, uh, eye together. And then the house basically blows up. And that leads us to Chief yelling at him again, uh, with smoke coming out of his ears. <laughs> I might just end it at that bit there before we get the set up to the funeral on the roof. Um, but just, yeah, such fun. So much fun. I love this movie. This is one of the best sections of the movie. Um, and it's also what, like, there are parts of this movie where I think there's a bit of an imbalance with whether this is a parody or a straight action movie. This is like the perfect balance here because everything's funny. It, 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 it plays the same way that, uh, it, this will come up again, you know, um, uh, Galaxy Quest or uh, even Scream is another good example. Like Scream was very self-aware of mm-hmm. we are parodying horror movies. We're even going to mention like the the cliches of horror movies while these things are happening. But it's not a 100% parody. Um, this movie just nails it here. Uh, when he – like that line about uh, may I speak to the drug dealer of the house, please. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, the, the, the Talk about the henchman thing here for a second because – uh, the main villain is Benedict, Charles Dance, but the kid identifies him as, oh, he's a henchman. And then you go back and you think of it like at this point in the movie, I wasn't sure who the main villain's going to be because you have the mob boss earlier on. What was his name? Um, the, the Italian or something. Like yeah, Vivaldi that. or whatever. Mario. Uh, you don't know if he's going to be the main villain. And let's be honest, like Charles Dance comes across like a henchman in this movie. He's in the background. He's working for a bigger boss. That also is similar to what you would see in like, especially a lethal weapon movie. You look at the first lethal weapon movie, your main bad guy, the one that who's the main antagonist who has all the big fight scenes and is involved in the climax is Gary Busey. But Gary Busey was simply working for somebody else. And Mm -hmm. uh, they did the same thing in uh, even the fourth movie, you know, Jet Li ends up being the big, bad guy that movie but he's just you know uh, a leg breaker and assassin for a mob boss so, so that also sort of fits this genre but it's not something so obvious where your typical audience is going to get it and it's such a great gimmick but i have to say this as great as the guy with the change ever-changing glass eye is and as great as benedict is does he really top like if we're looking at the jack slater world they've got my son versus they've got my second cousin a uh, bit of a step down. <laughs> the Ripper versus Benedict. Like, the Ripper is an iconic villain. And I'm so glad that the Ripper comes back later on. But that's what I was thinking of at this point. I'm like, oh, this guy's good. But, like, the Ripper, if if this were a real franchise, I think the Ripper is the villain you can't top. Um, even though Benedict is really good. But uh, I'm so glad they bring the Ripper back later on. Uh, and all the jokes they have with his glass eye, too. And I just love that... Um, uh, that Benedict is playing with them here too. Like when they're mentioning the whole drug dealer thing and uh, uh, he he's basically having fun with them. I don't know if he knows that they're a cop or not. Um, oh, another cameo. I didn't know. Uh, I, I just caught this in my notes, but when we have the um, Sharon Stone and the Robert Patrick thing coming out, do we see like somebody who's supposed to be Johnny Depp in 21 Jump Street? Cause I swear there was like uh, a dead ringer for 21 Jump Street cameo. Not something that I paid attention to, but possibly. There's got to be, like, a list somewhere where they have all the cameos. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, the, all the action stuff's great. The, the, when he goes to the house, they they have the chase scene later. I love that one where I got to catch the red eye. 
like it's so over the top when he does like the triple flip off of the balcony. <laughs> it's probably more than that. It's like a quadruple quintuplet tr- flip. I don't know how many <laughs> flips he actually does there, or cartwheels or oh, yeah. any- anything. Um, but also, um, now I got confused here because he keeps referring to her as Meredith, but she's supposed to be Whitney as the. Now, if I get this right, the actress who plays Whitney in real life is supposed to be named Meredith. Mm-hmm. So the kid no. has seen the poster. Oh, in real life, is that right? Well, poss- yeah. So, I uh, yeah, that you're correct. So Whitney is a character, and Meredith is the actress Something in the right. real world. Yes. Yeah, which I think that was one of the things that didn't quite work. Like, they, if they had had more time to work on this movie, like Schwarzenegger wanted, they probably could have edited around this a little bit better because we saw a brief, but like when he kept referring to her as Meredith, I was confused. Because you're also trying to catch up with, oh, this is supposed to be his daughter, but the kid doesn't recognize her right away. Um, I remember that moment earlier on when he saw the big cardboard cutout for Jack Slater 4, and it mm-hmm. says, introducing somebody as whatever, and you just figure, oh, this is some girl in the movie. But it's like, it's a blink and you miss it moment, and you're not going to remember a character you haven't seen up until this point. So it just got really confusing me trying to figure out why he keeps calling her Meredith. And I eventually got it, but uh, it's a fun idea. I think it also didn't help that it's supposed to be introducing Meredith, whatever as Whitney, because this kid would have no idea who she was. I mean, he hasn't never seen her. She didn't even appear in the opening sequence that he saw in the movie. Uh, The whole thing where she was screaming while she was fighting that also I thought when I was watching it and maybe they meant it as kind of like a double uh, meaning, but when she was doing, like you said, the, the girlish scream, ah, ah, even though she's the one beating them up, like it was just an action movie cliche. Well, just like they mentioned, well, how come every woman in this world is there's no average looking women in it? Because there's no average looking women in action movies. That's not the way they make these movies. That this would be a thing. It's like, well, women always scream in action movies. But then I realized, I think what what she's supposed to be doing is that they sent her in the room to take a beating and her doing the screaming. It's like that scene. Did you ever see Ocean's Eleven? Uh, no, no, I haven't. Oh, there's a scene in Ocean's Eleven where George Clooney's pulled into a room by a henchman. It's supposed to be given a beating, but the henchman's actually working with him. So this henchman spends the entire time basically pounding his fist against the wall and imitating George Clooney's voice saying, oh, oh, please stop. And he's like, yeah, I've got some more for you here. I think that's what she's doing. She's supposed to be faking out the guys outside as she's tossing this guy around and, you know, beating him up. She's pretending like she's taking the beating, which I actually thought, again, like, that's kind of clever. I mean, if, you know, I was ever trapped by uh, villains and drug dealers with glass <laughs> eyes in my house. Well, you live in Winnipeg, And I was taken so. to your room. I would totally <laughs> try this trick. This is quite smart. <laughs> And then I'll, I'll, I'll send your neighborhood, Colin. That's going to happen eventually. Yeah, exactly. It all looks the same as the other neighborhoods, though, of course, in Winnipeg. But, uh, you know. We just had, like, a, an election on Wednesday here. And uh, one of the funniest things is that the, the city council election for our area, uh, the person who uh, was campaigning against the incumbent candidate was doing a whole thing about crime is out of control in this neighborhood. I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen a police car around here. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then I find out there was like a meth house, like, I don't know, a couple of blocks away. Like one meth house in this neighborhood is like, oh, crime's taking us over. Well, that's Canada. Come on. Like one, yeah. you know, before marijuana was illegal, uh, legal, you know, you'd find one little butt of dope on the street. Oh, crime wave. It's Canada, eh? Better make <laughs> it legal. Yeah. <laughs> 
meanwhile, everywhere in America looks like uh, uh, the neighborhood uh, with the crack house movie theater and everything. <laughs> uh, which I do like how they play up that later on. I'll talk about that later on. But yeah, the, one of my favorite moments in this movie, which is a total Galaxy Quest moment, is when he's like, I'm in an action movie. This is going to work when he's playing chicken with the car on the bike. <laughs> Yeah. And then he all of a sudden he's like, wait, I'm the comedy sidekick. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. It, it just reminded me of the moment in Galaxy Quest where um, Sam Rockwell it keeps thinking like, I'm just the expendable crewman. Uh, I'm crew number number six yeah. who dies before the first commercial break. Call it, call it, it's call just... it. Correct, to correct you, sorry. Academy Award winner, Sam Rockwell. Yes. <laughs> the Academy Award winner of Galaxy Quest. <laughs> If only we could say Academy Award winner as Guy Flagman, aka Crewman Number Six in Galaxy Quest. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to point that out because uh, I've noticed the the um the marketing campaign between behind that new Gary Oldman movie that's coming out. Literally, they go so overboard with Academy Award winner Gary Oldman. <laughs> Because it is the first time in history a Gerard Butler movie can say Academy Award winner anybody in it. Yes, because the words Academy Award and Gerard Butler sound as, um, I don't even know where to go with it. It just sounds so wrong. <laughs> hey, I mean, as you were joking about Schwarzenegger winning an Oscar, I mean, what would the joke have been in 1993, even though Stallone had been nominated for a Rocky? I mean, the joke in 1993 would have been like, yeah, like, you know, Sylvester Stallone's getting, Sylvester Stallone got nominated for, you know, uh, playing Rocky Balboa for the seventh time, so. <laughs> We could be seeing Gerard Butler and Arnold Schwarzenegger head to head at the 2020 Academy Awards or something. How would that be? Like? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I um, hope I live in a world where Arnold Schwarzenegger can be nominated for an Oscar. That'd just be the greatest moment of my life. Like, imagine if we had, a, you know, Gerard Butler, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Adam Sandler, uh, <laughs> Johnny, Johnny Russo. <laughs> Tommy Russo. What am I saying? Johnny Russo. Tommy uh, Russo. Yeah. Tommy Russo. Jo- uh, you know that famous actor, Johnny Russo. <laughs> oh, he must only be big in New Zealand. And uh, Austin <laughs> O'Brien. Yeah. Up against Fran Dresser in Best Female Category. <laughs> Devin Sawyer. Oh. Uh. <laughs> the cast of Wild America. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we know that's coming one day to the Oz Network. We guarantee it. <laughs> yes. Uh, one other thing I just want to mention here is, uh, um, aside from that line with the California Raisins doing an all-male version of the Diary of Anne Frank, the, the chief spouts off, which is amazing, before he says, give me your badge, um, is uh, that Charles Dance, when he comes in, Benedict here, before the Twilight Zone music comes on, you can hear the Golden Girls in the background. Like, Benedict seemed like a Golden Girls kind of fan. <laughs> like, that's Thank what you I for being my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, all, he, all he secretly wants to do is to use his ticket to go into the, the, the real world of the Golden yeah. Girls. Hang out with Betty White and co. <laughs> <laughs> And I, um, and I know that you you would use it for come and knock on my door. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please don't let Rossi know about my hatred for that, because uh, I know he'll suggest it on our random rewatch Mondays that are coming up. Uh, <laughs> I also don't understand the logic. Like, again, the whole thing with the ticket, it's a cool idea, but 
could they have spent five minutes to come up with a proper explanation for how this thing works? It's just sitting there in his wallet, and he can phase himself through a wall. Does this work through any wall? Does it have to be a particular wall? How come if the kid had in his wallet the whole time, he wasn't falling through walls when he was leaning against them? Or, you know, when he dropped into the car, he didn't fall through the ground and end up somewhere else? Like, I just, I don't understand. I also don't understand why it takes him a day and a half before he bothers to try this again. He basically puts his hand through a wall, and he's like, I've got it, and then doesn't bother doing anything with it. Well, you know Arnie's listening to this right now going, that is a part of the movie. It just comes and goes. It's a deliberate plot hole. <laughs> Every time we come up with a plot hole, it was deliberate. We put that in. It was a funny joke. Because, <laughs> you know, Golden Girls and Twilight don't. Ha, hilarious. So funny. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, but you're absolutely right. I do like um, that. So we're after the smoke's coming out of Sharky's ears. Um, we see like the the weird partnership lining up again in the cops, and is it Humphrey Bogart's ghost? He's getting yeah. <laughs> partnered with someone. I think they refer to it as like uh, digitally remastered black and white <laughs> ghost of Humphrey Bogart. But then as he's leaving the the police station everyone's kind of staring at him we uh meet the guy the um the guy who killed mozart i've complained his name already telling him about how there's going to be a funeral on the roof for uh some mob boss who's died um we go back to arnie's house it's like where are we we're home and he walks in and just shoots his closet and the guy's in there it's like how did you know there was a guy in there there's always a guy in there <laughs> The guy's dressed as a ninja, too. I like that there's ninjas with machine guns in this world. <laughs> and it's just, like, a massive, like, closet filled with all these weapons. Um, but there's an even funnier bit when it comes to the weapons later on. I was the very first scene when he's on the roof, and it's like, that's the only gun that you've got? And he, like, pulls out, like, 20 guns <laughs> from his body. Um, we we kind of have this bit of dialogue between the two, and he's like, you know, Jack is kind of like, oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. It's getting harder. And then Danny's like, it's the sequels. It's gonna get harder. You know, uh, you'll keep do you. And he's like, oh, but I'm going to die soon. It's like, oh, you won't die until the grocers go down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they get back on the road, and we can't. They're they're basically working out why this funeral is a big deal, and they kind of come to the conclusion that uh, one mob is one section of the mob has filled up this fat body with gas and is going to kill the other side of the mob so they can take kill control the fart the kill the <laughs> fart yes kill the fart um and they're going to kill all the rest of the mob basically by doing it that way um and so they get to this funeral on a roof. I think this is where I get confused with this in True Lies because you have that sequence at the end, isn't it, where they're like on a building and there's like helicopters and everything along those lines. Um, and we get the great scene with Arnie trying to park. So he drives through a fence and just <laughs> boom, 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 slams right up to the front door of this building, gets out of the car and is like, stay in the car. It's like, no, what if I stay in the car? will get me killed. It's okay. There's a gun in the glove compartment. And he opens it up and like 50 guns. <laughs> I love that bit. That's so funny. Uh, we've also got bits on the roof, uh, with Benedict and this, uh, I'm just gonna call him Mario. Um, <laughs> <and> he's like, <laughs> the, 
the whole thing is here is that Racial stereotyping again. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, if, if I was a Simpsons character, they would, uh, you know, eliminate me from it right now. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> topical Ben. Uh, he can't, <laughs> he can't say, uh, like what sayings probably kind of reminds me of Biff from Back to the Future when he's kind yeah. of like, Oh, I don't want to be the, what is he like? The third Fourth wheel. wheel. Fourth wheel, it's fifth wheel, you idiot. Uh, yeah. Whatever it is, the other way around. Um, I don't know these things either. Make no, like a tree right. and get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's leave, you idiot! Um, but uh, he Benedict snaps one of the fingers, essentially, on this body to start the timer up. Uh, and then we get this massive action scene. It's, first of all, the guy... Um, John Practice is his name, uh, who, the guy who killed Mozart, turns on Arnie. Um, <laughs> I did like the bit when Arnie's like, Danny said not to trust you. He said you killed Mozart. <laughs> like, I killed a lot of people. I don't remember all of them. <laughs> then he tells him his plan, and then Danny comes in with a gun and is basically like, Oh, you're so stupid. You did the whole villain thing. You tell him the plan. And, He's like, you ain't no genius yourself. He gets uh, attacked as well. They both get tied to a pole. Um, and then the cartoon cat comes in and shoots. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love the way this is how they get saved from these guys. And Danny DeVito as a cartoon cat <laughs> shoots him. And we're laughing at this, not going in stupid. Um <laughs> So we get the whole bit where Arnie basically runs up to the roof to try and get the body. We've got Danny getting on this crane. He's running around with a gun. And yeah. basically people just, like, run away from him. But some of the funniest stuff when they're on the roof. And Arnie gets up to the roof to the body. And he's like, he's not dead. Help me, help me. He's not dead. Everybody get out of the way. I need a doctor. I'm a doctor. <laughs> The doctor has fainted. Someone help this man. Look, an elephant. <laughs> that 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 doctor moment it almost reminded me of like the uh, the the prank call thing to Moe's on The Simpsons, where it's like, "Can I speak to Hugh Jass, please?" <laughs> I'm Hugh Jass. That just reminded me of that bit where um, isn't it like Nelson? Like, there's that guy, that really tall guy in a small car drives past. He's like, "Ha ha!" He's like, "Are you making fun of me because the way I look in my motor vehicle?" <laughs> Everyone needs to drive an automobile. This was the largest <laughs> one I could afford on my salary. Look, everyone, it's the boy who laughs at people for looking funny. <laughs> I just, just the whole bit where Arnold Schwarzenegger is basically going, like, "Help me, help me! Everybody, get out of the way! Get out of the way! Look, an elephant!" <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. But um, then it kind of leads into Arnie trying to get this body off. We get an elevator getting blown up and uh, Danny crashing everything with this crane. And it all leads to him essentially falling into the La Brea tar pits and somehow surviving. Can I just point out, aren't they meant to be, like, boiling hot? Like, isn't that meant to be, like, the earth? we are seeing volcano. That turns into a volcano in four years' time. Like, come on. Um, and then gets out of the tar pits and we hear the silent but deadly when it like <laughs> when it blows up. Oh god, it's so funny. And then uh when he's like trying to walk to his car and he's like, We need to get to my car. It's like a oh, helicopter landed on it. I hate it when that happens. And then 
This is that bit you mentioned earlier where all of a sudden Whitney comes out of nowhere in this monster truck. Hey, Dad, I thought you might need a change of clothes. It's like, oh, don't you think that's a little bit convenient? No, I don't think so. It always happens like this. Um, and maybe I'll just end it at the bit here where Benedict kills Mario in the pool. Um, it's like, hey, what have you done to me? You've done a 360 on me. It's like, 180, you moron. If you've done a 360, you would have just gone around there. And we get that line from him when he says, if God was a villain, he'd be me. Um, so, yes. Uh, will I end it there or will we keep going to enjoy? I mean, I'll just quickly add here. All of a sudden, I'm just doing the whole movie here. Um, Arnie then drives the car into his house. Uh, this is for blowing up my ex-wife's house. Uh, and he slaps him on the wrist. I love that when he like, what does he punch him? He's like, this is for this. This is for giving my daughter a black eye. This is for blowing up my ex-wife's house. Just slaps him on the wrist. <laughs> um, and then this is the part where Benedict somehow work, works out how to use the ticket and he jumps into the real world, um, which is then when uh, Danny turns to Arnie and says, we should do the same thing too. And they're all jumping into the real world. There, I'll end it there. Lots to cover. You're Perfect welcome. spot. Um, I'm just going to say the action sequence here, all the stuff on the roof, the pri- primarily the stunt with the elevator uh when he the he jumps into the elevator the glass elevator that's on the outside of the building it starts falling off um oh, yeah. he falls what th- that yes no what oh, no, no, that was an oh yeah like it's good that was oh, me yeah. acknowledging i agree with you See, yes I can thank you <laughs> you're welcome uh we're on the same page good uh <laughs> no like that that is so good uh like just as an action movie this is why i say even though the way we describe this movie, it seems like it's just an all-out comedy. It's funny when it needs to be, but when it is doing this action stuff, it is a good action movie. And that sequence I put up there with, you know, some of the best stuff John McTiernan's done as far as his action goes. Uh, and then I just love the whole logic here of, you know, they killed this guy so they could put nerve gas in his belly. And the, the fact that they call him Leo the Fart and that Schwarzenegger gets to utter, utter the line, Leo the Fart is going to pass gas one more time. <laughs> that is a line in his movie. And then to activate the bomb, the nerve gas they put inside this Leo the Fart guy whose funeral is being held, you activate it by pulling his finger, which starts the timer on the bomb. <laughs> But, like, it's not played as such an over-the-top gag. It's just sort of like, oh, I see what they did there. Um, and I also like the whole stay-in-the-car thing you go, where sh- uh, singers tell him, you know, if this is a movie, you tell somebody to stay in the car, and then they come and they die. And he goes, okay, good point. I'll stay in the car. It's like, wait, but what if because I stay in the car, that's why I die? <laughs> There's a glove in, or a gun in the glove box, and then he'll have all the guns fall out, which is great. Um and again, just a movie playing on the cliches of these. Like every time you say, like it's the scream thing, you know, never run up the stairs, and you see a character just running up the stairs <laughs> when they're being chased. Um, yeah, and the tar thing—it's awesome. Just like the little things where, um, uh, what's Austin O'Brien's character's name again? Danny. Danny Madigan. Danny. Okay. When he comes out, and the first thing I'm thinking to myself is he covered a guitar. He just wipes himself with like a towel. And his entire face is like completely clean all of a sudden. He goes, isn't that stuff supposed to be stickier than that? And then you have the thing where the daughter shows up in the monster truck and is like, hey, do you need a change of clothes? Like, does nobody else find this really convenient? Just every time the movie makes mention of these things, it's so funny. Uh, 
uh, what else here? Yeah, okay, so when he, he gets in the real world, um, again, this is where I was talking about earlier, why I don't understand why he waited a day, or how he realizes this even is supposed to work, because he saw his hand go through a wall. Like, at some point, did he step through the wall in the middle of the night, somehow figure out this is a different world, which, if he did do that, how does this help Benedict? Because in the real world, we find out none of the laws of physics of action movies apply. You know, you you, you die if you get shot. You, you can't fly through the air uh, on a bike or a car or anything like that. Uh, it's just I, again, I'm not being overly critical of the movie. It, it's you, you stop and you think, oh, I know where we're gonna go with this. What's the answer? Mm. Oh, I thought yeah. you were going to say it right there. No, oh, it's, it's all know. intentional. Oh, well, am I meant to be smart at that moment then? Um, no, yeah. it's all intentional. We, we put that in. It's an intentional plot hole. <laughs> this is uh, this is deliberately in there. Same in the podcast. Yeah. Ben is smart one moment. <laughs> the next is dumb. It's for comic relief. Uh, I'm just going to stop pointing out the plot holes because we know we're <laughs> going to go with that each time. Uh, there's one really good line here that I love too that Danny says where he's trying to explain everything that's happening to Arnold and he goes, it all makes sense. Actually, none of it makes sense, but I'll explain it later. <laughs> that's that's the motto of our podcast really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, all, along with, it's all deliberate, all the mistakes, <laughs> we did them intentionally. Uh, so we're in the real world now. And, um, we, <laughs> when they come outside, what the hell, we're in New York. Um, <laughs> and then he essentially, uh, sees, uh, Benedict run away. He goes like, you want to see another explosion for your movie? And he shoots a taxi and nothing happens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the taxis he- here are bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, when he breaks the window, ah, my heart actually hurts. Uh, <laughs> and then when we get a moment when they, he plays um, chicken with this uh, other car, we get a famous Arnold Schwarzenegger, go Danny, get out! Uh, <laughs> which I will say though, like it's a great shot the way they kind of, you see Danny get out of the car and the way they kind of like pan across to the car crash, just that sort of long shot of it. Like it's a really cool shot the way they do that. Um, and then you see Arnie get out of the car, damn it, that hurt! And it's like, <laughs> he's not really dead, look, dead! And the, the, the driver guy, he's like got his brains all over the, the bonnet, basically, and then we see that, uh, Benedict has gotten out and run away. Um, and this is where they, uh, finally see the poster, the big Arnold Schwarzenegger poster for Jack Slater, uh, four, and this is where he's kind of like, I guess, putting two and two together here that, uh, oh, hang on a minute, maybe he's right. Um, and what is, when we then go to, um, the, oh no, he meet, he goes back to Nick first. I thought he had gone to his mum's house first. Mm. So we meet everybody's favorite childhood friendly man who hangs out with little boys. Uh, what does he say? Like, it worked and, you know, I was too frightened. And he's like, as you saying before, like trying to work out what movies you go into. Then he's like, oh, I've never met a fictional character before. <laughs> <laughs> Who has? <laughs> and I, I do like the little bit there when he's like talking about the real world and he's like going on about like politicians and this and that and that and that. And politicians, you're dissent politicians. I know, but they're twice as bad. <laughs> Funny enough, what did Arnold Schwarzenegger come like 10 years after yeah. this movie got released? Um, Daddy eventually gets home. We meet his mum again, who apparently tries to be all motherly now. 
Like, you know, where have you been? I've been doing this, I've been doing that. It's like, you told him to go home. You didn't even leave work. Your poor son got attacked at home and you couldn't even leave work. <laughs> um, and then I do like the bit when he walks around the corner and he's kind of like, uh, hello, Mrs. Mannigan, I'm Arnold Braunschweiger. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's funny. And then we've got Benedict walking down the street, kind of getting his first taste of reward. I mean, this is kind of a bit like um, Blast from the Past, isn't it? Yeah. When Christopher Walken sort of walking down the street. Um, just just and- as much porn as there was in Blast <laughs> from the Past, too. And that woman, the way she's kind of like, you want to have a party? It's like, how old are you? It's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> and then we hear some guy getting murdered in the street. I mean, New York in 1993, where people are getting murdered because of their shoes. Um, and then the way he kind of gets here and he's like, no screams, no sirens, like, it's, it's kind of a weird sort of way of doing it, because you're right, like, why would he want to be in the real world? Um, because at the same time, like, okay, there might not be a reaction straight away to, like, a gunshot this way, but at the same time, he's in, I guess, a seedy part of a city at the time, which was renowned for being crime-ridden. I mean, if he had popped up in, like, I don't know... Niceville, USA. Um, you know, I'm sure there's going to be police showing up in two seconds. Um, so it's it's a little bit weird. But then he goes basically goes to a mechanic. He's like, I want to test the theory. Like, kills a guy, and it's like, hello everyone, I just shot somebody. I did it on purpose. <laughs> I murdered this man in cold blood. Hey, shut up down there. <laughs> I'm going to say, hey, shut up down there, guy, is the unsung hero of this movie. What a great line. <laughs> Very New York, 1993. <laughs> I've just murdered somebody. Hey, shut up down there. <laughs> That's where we need to dub over from Twister. Better than what you, Sniff. Uh, <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, back at Danny's house, we see that Arnold has been up all night with his mum, flirting with him. <laughs> And essentially, this is where Danny's like, oh, you turned him into a wimp. He's like, oh, I didn't know that talking. It was so neat. Uh, <laughs> and then what's the line he's talking about, like the kid from Harrison Ford movie? Like, he was Jewish. No, Amish. Oh, what movie is he talking about there? Witness. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, it was I'm Amish not, in that one. Not, the, not that I'm familiar with. Then uh, Danny's mother puts on Mozart. Like, what is this? Oh, Mozart! <laughs> the guy that such and such killed. Yeah. It's like, you like, you like classical music? I don't know! I think I do! <laughs> there was, there was a scene actually earlier on, I think it was in the very first car chase, wasn't it, when Danny's in the car, when he changes the cassette to put on more rock music. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. as he's driving around. Um, and then basically we get, um, a scene of them on top of the Empire State movie. Um, kind of just having a bit of a conversation about the real world and everything. And then we see Benedict has brought back the Ripper, um, and is essentially telling him the, the, what the real world is like and how you can do it. And it's all going to border down to them going to the world premiere of Jack Slater 4, um, to kind of kill the real Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I might just kind of lump it there, just a few little scenes before we kind of get in towards the climax. Yeah, it's, it was sort of surprising. I, I figured at some point during this movie they would get to the real world, but I thought it would have happened like very late in the movie, maybe the last 15, 20 minutes. They spend probably half an hour to 45 minutes in the real world here, uh, which I was surprised with. But I think it works well. I think just as you're getting used to what does the movie world feel like, then it was it was a, a welcome twist to have it be like, well, what if movie characters were in the real world? And some of the best moments, like you mentioned, with like the, oh, my hand really hurts. Uh, 
uh, also when they played chicken and he's like that doesn't work this is the real world uh and you think that uh you know this is a big mistake but then he's like this car has airbags taxi cab no airbags (laughs) (laughs) really smart you see where his daughter gets the smarts from um (laughs) But uh, my favorite moment, like one of my favorite moments of the whole movie is the, hello, I just shot a man <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> and then I go, hey, shut up down there. I love that guy just screaming at him. Um, they haven't revealed at this point what Benedict's trying to do, right? That's coming up after this. Yeah, that's no, coming up after this. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, like when he meets the mom, this is especially confusing to me because – uh, the mom has recognition of him, like, <gasps> as if it's supposed to be like, well, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> but surely, like, this kid who's obsessed with Schwarzenegger and Jack Slater, the mom is familiar with what the kid watches. Yeah. How the next morning is she like, this nice policeman Jack that brought you home has just been talking to me. Like, how does she not know this is Arnold Schwarzenegger? Like, forget about if this is – is there anybody in the real world in 1993 who has never seen Conan the Barbarian or Terminator or Twins or Kindergarten Cop or any of this stuff? It's just – I found it really hard to believe that this woman has no idea what Arnold Schwarzenegger looks like. Mm. But guess what? That also was intentional. <laughs> yeah. It was intentional, Carl, and you dumbweeds. Don't you know this? Deliberately done. Danny's, da- Danny's mom so stupid. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, no, there's another part. Uh, that's the other part coming up. I'm excited to talk about the next bit. That's where I got all my notes here. Uh, but, uh, no, I love those whole real world setting that they have for these movie characters. Uh, just one more thing I mentioned. You mentioned with the Mozart, and he goes, oh, you turned him into a wimp, which is... It's kind of funny uh, to think, you know, these action movie characters would never even be exposed to this because they even mention when uh, he's, I guess, in the back of his car. He's like, explosions, fast car, you know, hard rock music. You must be Jack Slater Uh, (laughs) for the music in this movie. Aside from the soundtrack, which obviously they had like every band like Megadeth, ACDC, Alice in Chains, everything you mentioned. um the two bands on the soundtrack, well, I guess the three that I'm actually a really big fan of, you know, Def Leppard, obviously, um, Alice in Chains, and Queensryche. Uh, when you're watching the end credits, you see that Michael Kamen used a band for some of the music in this movie because there's some background music that's instrumental that's still trying to fit into the Jack Slater world of just being, like, really hard rock. And most of the musicians that Michael Kamen used were the actual band members of Alice in Chains and Queensryche. So, again, the power of Arnold Schwarzenegger doing a movie, you have these bands, two of the biggest bands in the world probably in the early 90s, and they're like, oh, we want to get the, the guys from the, the Queensryche and the Alice's in Chains. Let's have them work with Michael Kamen. And they just do it. It's just crazy to me that there's basically cameos even in background instrumental music here. Which and he even did it with ACDC, too. He basically went to ACDC and was like, yeah, hey, we'll write a song for the movie. And they did. So. <laughs> Do it like you know. the back and black one. Yes. You know the one with the, with the guitars and the, the, the guitar and the, the other guitar. That song. Yes. Do all of that. Oh, let's be honest. All the songs sound the same. Just change the lyrics to say Jack Slater. Dress up in your little schoolboy outfit and do that weird little <laughs> dance you do on the stage. They are Australian, aren't they? They are very much Australian. So, yeah. Are, are they still a big deal there? Uh, yeah, they like pretty much one of the, whenever you talk about famous Australians there, one of the ones we always talk about, uh, there's like a, a street in Melbourne named after them where they kind of, it's like this little ACDC lane where 
it's the music lane street because you know a lot of famous musicians they have like little signs up in this street kind of honoring them and everything so yeah one of the one of the few uh actual australians who are australian we didn't steal from the country that i'm in right now in new zealand so you know it's um <laughs> it's it's pretty good um so yeah, we've got this <laughs> premiere now of Jack Slater Four. Oh, uh, some of the fun, most fun stuff in this entire movie happens, and it's it's just such an interesting way of kind of doing this. That I guess the big climax of this movie is happening while the premiere is happening with the real Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, so we see uh, everyone coming onto the red carpet. Arnie gets out of uh, this the, the Hummer, of course, and the like the the commentator people are like, who else could it be coming out of that car? Can I just say that I've actually seen Arnold Schwarzenegger in real life. Um, one of the years I was at the Grand Prix in Melbourne uh, and was sort of doing media, like uh, sort of a, a type of media I was doing there. He was in Melbourne for, he does like a thing every year, like the Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilding classic. And I think it was the first year it was on. So he then came to the Grand Prix just before the race. So everyone sort of caught wind that he was there. So all these people are kind of like lining up at this section to see him. And his car pulls up in a Hummer, of course, gets right out and kind of like, you know, it's about, no, three meters away from me and kind of stands and waves to the crowd. Didn't sign any autographs, sadly. He just kind of waved at everybody waiting and walked off. So that's my Arnold Schwarzenegger. I took a photo of him. So, um, I've taken a photo of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> he's a big man. Like he, he's a big man. So, you know, I think everybody knows that, but yeah, he's definitely a big man. But, uh, I do like these bit when they're on the red carpet and we've got little Richard giving an interview. Um, and then Maria Shriver when they were still together. Um, and then the way she's just kind of like talking to him, like, oh, and don't talk about the restaurant. You know, it embarrasses us. Don't do this. <laughs> and then I do also love the way Arnold's sort of like, oh, that is, that is, uh, the, what, what's the magazine? He says, the National Enquirer. Don't talk to them. Yeah, <laughs> I just love the disdain she has with not just him promoting the restaurant. Every word out of his mouth, she's just rolling her eyes. Yeah. She's not acting. Like, I mean, yeah. it, was a, it was a long time coming for them to get divorced, people. Like, <laughs> We're seeing the beginning of a breakdown of a marriage here in 1993. But even then, I love the interview that he's giving. He's like, oh, we kill a lot less people in this movie. We only kill 48. There was 130 in the last film. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's because there's so much good story. <laughs> and then the way that the interview people are like, oh, that's just because you're so big in Hollywood. Oh, yes. And speaking of Hollywood, Planet Hollywood has so much good stuff. <laughs> Maria Shriver grabs him. <laughs> just so funny. Uh, and then we've got, uh, what is it? Uh, which Belushi is it getting interviewed there? Jim. Um, Jim, uh, he's like, oh, I'm not really here for the movie. I'm not a big fan of Arnold. My wife is, uh, you know, she gets <laughs> turned in by him. So I have to take advantage <laughs> of that. And then we've got the Ripper, of course, is, uh, showed up in, they reckon it's, you know, the actor in costume and they're kind of like, oh, here comes the Ripper. Uh, he gets let in and then you've got the real actor who plays the Ripper and they're kind of like, huh, what? <laughs> As he's walking there and then we meet, um, the Ripper guy's agent. Who essentially is complaining? Did the Joker show up? Uh, did Nicholson show up as the Joker to Batman? Um, other people we've got here, we've got a random Chevy Chase moment. Jean Claude Van Damme, as you mentioned before. Uh, we've got MC Hammer becking. This movie's <laughs> dated when MC Hammer is a musical artist that's dead. I think by it. the time the release date hit in 1993, it was dated. Yes. Oh, and did you notice, uh, the, the actress who's like the Usher person when like Jack Slater's like, um, you know, oh, where do I sit? Where, which part of the movie do I sit in? 
Uh, and the woman behind the counter is, uh, the, the woman from Twister. The, the, the other woman that's not Helen Hunt. Or, or, um, no, Jamie Gertz. Um, no. the, yeah, I'm it is. It's back. her. Um, I'm trying to remember her name. We talked a lot about her, but, uh, yes, we're, we're tagging all our previous films that we've done here on the Oz Network, available via, uh, iTunes and all those other places. Um, so it kind of leads up to a bit of a confrontation where the Ripper is throwing it, about to throw an axe at the real Arnold Schwarzenegger to which then Jack Slater shoots him, goes to shoot him. He jumps down the curtains with the, uh, the axe. Arnold Schwarzenegger jumps on Jack Slater to protect him. And then this sort of leads to this moment. It's like, oh, look at you. You look so good. You, if you're in Los Angeles, you should come and open up a, a center. I, I don't like it when the movie studio don't tell me they're doing stunts. And then Jack Slater is basically like, you know what? I don't really like you. You cause me nothing but pain. <laughs> um, I didn't understand that line either. Is that because he suddenly realized I'm not a real person? I'm guessing, um, yeah, that that would be my assumption. Uh, then we've got this confrontation on the roof, which is, I guess, an exact recreation of what we saw at Jack Slater 3 of the, the Ripper this time holding Danny hostage with the axe and Jack Slater can sort of get revenge on how it all played out and it all essentially leads to him electrocuting him because it's raining on the roof. He gets, rips out an electric wire and zaps him and then he falls off the roof or well, he dies. I don't understand how then Arnie can jump back on the roof when that wire is still live and in that water. <laughs> ben, it's a deliberate plot hole. Oh, sorry, Arnie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, the Ripper is uh, dead. Um, and maybe I'll just go here to the death of Benedict. So we, then Benedict comes out. There's a standoff. Uh, he actually shoots uh, Jack Slater and um, sort of shoves Danny out of the way and kind of Danny pretends to have an arm breaking. Ah, you broke my arm. Um and then uh we get the uh what is it how does he kill him he does he shove him off the roof uh that's a very good gone, question why have i gone blank on this <laughs> uh, i've written climax, here i've written no jack just left chamber empty cries to break arm no sequel for you a movie about death here's the blade the kid, come out of the kid broke his arm i remember that yes <laughs> um, uh, oh, we're Jack doing so well here, aren't we? Shot in the chest. Yep. You uh, got it up oh, there. No. Maybe you can find out by the end of the movie. Yeah, no. Danny, Danny then gets up because he's faking his arm breaking. He subdues. Be- I'm reading off Wikipedia now. Danny subdues Benedict, <laughs> allowing Slater to kill him, shooting his explosive glass eye. Oh, there we go. Uh, however, this also causes the stub to be lost. Okay, there we go. There we go. Look at that. We both watched the movie, but, didn't we? Is that the same Wikipedia that says that Austin O'Brien was in Apollo 13 and Timothy Dalton's in this? <laughs> yeah, I think it, actually what happened is Benedict had a heart attack. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fell off the roof and a giant cradle fell on top of him uh, after uttering the words, For England, James. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'll 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 I'll, put, I'll cap it just to there before I close out the film. Um, wow, there's there's so many good moments in this section here. The the movie premiere is such a clever idea, and bringing back the Ripper that was the moment where I'm like, just when I thought I had this movie figured out, I'm like, that's such a clever idea. And I think partly because when I saw that opening, I'm like, wow, what a villain this would be. 
and and I as much as I like Benedict, I said I, I just thought this Ripper was such a, a great villain. I'm so glad they brought him. But also, why if Benedict has the power to bring anybody to the movie? Because they even say, "Well, let's go to the movies." He's going to use this power to bring people from movies into the real world. And you see him circling like Dracula and things like that in a newspaper. I don't remember what some of the other ones were. He literally could have picked anybody. So what does he do? He picks somebody from his own world that he knows has already been beaten by Jack Slater. <laughs> like, what was his thinking? He's like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to take somebody that I already have seen in the flesh lose to this man. Like, that always, would be like... And he mentions... So and Jeremy he also I, mentions in that speech, doesn't he, where he turns around and says, like, I can bring back King Kong. I can bring back Hannibal Lecter. Like, yeah. he mentions it. Yeah. Yeah, imagine if he brought King Kong, everybody's dead. He's accomplished his goal. <laughs> but it's almost like if Jeremy Irons was doing, I don't know, some type of magical spell. Now I'm still stuck in Hocus Pocus mode. Thank you very much, Rossi. <laughs> uh, but if Jeremy Irons in, in Die Hard with a Vengeance could summon anybody back from the grave, and he's like, I'm going to pick my dead brother, who already has been beaten by this man. It just mm. it doesn't make any sense why he brings him, and I, I, I'm kind of thinking like very Ready Player One at this point. Like it would have been great if they had all this power and they got all these cameos, and we see a little bit of it later on with the Ian McKellen thing that comes up, which I'll, I'll save for later because that also have a ton of questions about. But this is the one part where I'm like, oh, if they had just gone a little bit further with this. And you have like a ton of – he just releases a few henchmen. Save the Robert Patrick cameo and it's here and you just have Jack Slater like chop his head off or throw him into a boiler or something. And then you have, I don't know, other Schwarzenegger villains just to play up on the joke that show up. Uh, and, and he just beats them one after the other. And then the Ripper just happens to be one of them there. But I mean it's still a really cool idea to bring back a villain from the movie and then to have Arnold Schwarzenegger at the movie premiere while Jack Slater is at the movie premiere – uh, it's so much fun, and I just love how much Maria Shriver is just groaning every time he talks <laughs> and rolling her eyes when he's doing the publicity. I love it. Next, I'm going to write, produce, direct, and star in the next Jack Slater movie. <laughs> uh, and then the MC Hammer thing. It is really funny, though. It's like, it's a deal, right? Soundtrack for Jack Slater 5. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, apparently, Damon Wayans is in this, too. I didn't catch Damon Wayans. Yeah, um, I I did catch the Chevy Chase one because I thought it was appropriate that basically somebody bumps into Chevy Chase and he just starts banging into and knocking everything around him down, which is such a Chevy Chase thing. Um, this is the best stuff in the whole movie here. Uh, the the movie premiere sequence, especially when Jack Slater meets Arnold Schwarzenegger as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, I guess the fight on the roof is great. Also, oh, um, when he, I think it's right before this scene here, uh, lines that this movie is so full of them lines that you just wish that you know were a bigger deal that would be up there with get to the chopper and uh <laughs> it's not a tumor how about arnold schwarzer going rubber baby buggy bumper i bet you didn't <laughs> think i would say that <laughs> like, things you never thought you would hear him say <laughs> such a great line um one of the note i have here is on the, the jim belushi line where uh he um he, he mentions like you know Arnold really turns her on. I wonder maybe it's because I was too young at the time, but like was this a thing of Arnold Schwarzenegger being a sex symbol? 
Because if it was just this movie, I'd be like, well, Jim Belushi's making a joke. He's kind of because he'd been in a movie with Schwarzenegger. He's kind of just, you know, ragging on him a bit. But I also remember because we also just covered this Home Improvement, which is my childhood favorite show. Uh, there is a scene where they're debating about getting bed sheets, and Jill's like, "Ooh, I wouldn't mind getting Arnold Schwarzenegger bed sheets." And I remember <laughs> even as a kid at the time being like, "Do women like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Is this a thing?" I, I mean, like, I, I don't think know- it. I, I would assume so. I mean, like, you know, wasn't he, like, shirtless all the time in Commando and Conan the Barbarian? Like, I, I guess. I, I could totally, yeah, I could totally get it, like, for the physique, but I guess the, maybe part of what I'm thinking is because at the same time, like, every action hero was like that. You know, uh, Van Damme, Stallone. It's the same thing with Stallone. It's always surprising me when you hear a woman be like, ooh, Sylvester Stallone's really attractive. I'm like, really? <laughs> I mean, I, you get it for the body, but, like, these guys, they're not, it's not like nowadays when you have, like, the, the male action stars, like, you know, I mean, he, Channing Tatum, you know, any, but any other guy, Hugh Jackman or uh, Henry Cavill. Nowadays, you know, that's kind of the thing, but it's just, it, it's just surprising me that Schwarzenegger would have been, like, a big sex symbol in his day. Well, people thought Roger Moore was attractive, remember? So, I mean... Uh, <laughs> I mean <laughs> and even Timothy Dalton. <laughs> hey, you leave Timothy Dalton out of this. Man's attractive. Um, <laughs> especially in uh, The Beautician and the Beast. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, realize we've gone like two hours without trying to do what we're going to do next year, right? It's coarse, it's rough, it's irritating, it gets everywhere. What about... Uh, <laughs> Hayden Christensen, like, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're failing at our planned thing to do next year. Um, I, you mentioned about the Ian McKellen thing. So the ticket's kind of gone past. It's, like, flown off the roof, hasn't it? Landed in this other theatre. They're watching a movie about death. Um, and essentially, death comes out of the screen, played by... Ian McKellen, I think he was a knight then, uh, <laughs> Sir Ian McKellen. Um, and well, I just love the fact that when he's walking down the street, he touches a cop who's like choking on a, I don't know, a donut or something like that. Um, and then this is kind of intercut with them being in the ambulance trying to save Jack Slater's life. And going back to your thing where you mentioned, like, does his mother not recognize his Arnold Schwarzenegger? They're not in this ambulance, like, going like, oh my god, we've got Arnold Schwarzenegger in the back of our ambulance. Yeah. Um, Why are we listening and- to this kid with the gun? <laughs> and then, like, this is what I don't understand. Is like, you get in the movie world, he has a gun and everyone runs away with a the gun. These people in the ambulance just mm-hmm. get out and run away when he's got a gun? Like, if this is a real world, wouldn't they not run away? Like, Ben is deliberate in the plot hole. Um, he then drives him back to the movie theatre because he's saying, like, well, we've got to get him back to the theatre. Uh, you know, we've got to get him back into the real world. Well, this is only a flesh wound. And as they're there and, you know, he's trying to get him to go back to the screen and Nick's all there and he's like, oh, it's not going to work. You've lost the ticket. He's like, it has to work. It has to. And then death walks into the theatre to which then apparently Danny hates death because he's just like, I'm sick of you choosing who's going to die and who's going to live. It's like, this should have been some sort of plot point of this whole movie that Danny secretly hates the character of death. It's so weird that he just starts yelling at him. But it's, I think it's really cool that we just randomly have Ian McKellen playing Death. He's in it for five minutes and the guy owns every single thing he says. Um, but I do like the bit when he says, you know, he's like, I, I don't, I was curious. He's not on any of my lists. Um, and then what does he say to Danny when he says something like, Oh, I'm actually here for you. He's like, what? I'm going to die? No, you won't die till you're a grandfather. 
Um, mm. And then I, the line when he turns around and says, like, if I was you, I would be working out where the other half of the ticket is. How does he know that there's another half of the ticket? Like, death is this smart? Um, this then leads Danny to dig through the box, find the other half of the ticket, and then we get back into the real world. Slater! <laughs> and then everybody... Um, Danny sort of wants to stay in the screen, but, uh, Arnie tells him to go back into the real world and all these people rush around him. Doctor comes and looks and says, what is this, a joke? This is just a flesh wound. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then we get, uh, the scene when, um, Chief is yelling at him and Arnie's just like, stop shouting. I'm not deaf. I'm the hero. So shut up. <laughs> Um, we get a real bit of, we get a cheesy scene with Nick when he's like, oh, the ticket's yours and the magic is in you. Oh, how sweet. And then the car drives off. Uh, we get Arnie waving into the camera, I guess, from the distance. And then we close it off with ACDC, as every movie should. The end. Last action hero. Uh, we forgot Two Steps Behind by Def Leppard. That is also in the credits. That's why I would leave that to you. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I'll mention that. Trust me, I will. Uh, anyways, so one question just going back a bit is, uh, how Benedict knows who, like, Dracula and Freddy Krueger are, because if he sort of exists in his movie world, I I guess they go to the video store and all other movies do exist there, so -hmm. I guess that kind of makes sense. Uh, there you go. That that's not. Uh, it was intentional, but it was actually smart because it's not a plot hole. (laughs) That's in part written by William Goldman. That's his Academy Awards coming into play. Here's my biggest question, though. What does killing Arnold Schwarzenegger accomplish? Like, what is the mission here? Because I kind of thought just off the top of my head, oh, if you kill Schwarzenegger, then Jack Slater will cease to exist. But that only makes sense if you couldn't summon people out of old movies still. Because Jack Slater still exists in Jack Slater 1 through 4. Like, taking the guy out of one print of a movie does not kill him off. It would kill him – like, you would still have to kill Jack Slater to kill the person in the real world. Humphrey Bogart's ghost still exists in the real world. <laughs> so it 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 loses it a bit when th- this movie clearly wasn't sure on the rules of crossing over the world. It's deliberate, Colin. It becomes a it's problem deliberate. with the movie. T- <laughs> it's all deliberate. <laughs> uh, which is apparently also deliberate. Uh, I won't even question it this time that this movie ticket – only works when you have it in your hand or your wallet, but if it falls on the sidewalk about 50 meters outside of a movie theater, anything inside of the movie theater will suddenly come to life. But then again, when your movie hero has the other part of the movie ticket in his hand, they can't figure out how to turn it on. <laughs> I just... It, it, none of it makes sense. It's deliberate! Uh, but it's, it's, still, it's all deliberate. Um, death showing up it took me a long time to figure it out. This is one of those moments where I'm like, I think they could have gone a little bit further with this or done more explanation. And I'm completely with you with what you said about, um, the, uh, uh, um, thing with the kid. And oh, I hate death or whatever, because I didn't even realize until I was reading up on Wikipedia, this was halfway through the movie. I'm looking on Wikipedia to realize that this is supposed to be a movie about a kid who lost his dad. Cause I missed that line. It was so quick. Just going by, as you mentioned with the mom mentioning, earlier on the movie about his dad dying like that would have been something that if you had set it up properly in the movie and explained more it could have had a bigger impact and it would explain why he looks up to this action hero and why he's so afraid of this guy to die um 
but like the movie barely explains it, so I didn't get that at all until I actually looked on Wikipedia, and I think that's a problem with the movie. Uh, but yeah, Ian McKellen, this is also about five years before Ian McKellen became a big deal. I mean, he'd been around forever, but he's one of the, he's like a Robert Prosky, you know. I think I've seen him in something, but he wasn't like a big deal. And then five years later, he does like, I think Apt Pupil was the first big one he had. Um, and, and then he did like, got nominated for Gods and Monsters the year after that, and then X-Men the year after that, and then Lord of the Rings the year after that. I mean, he's got to be one of the oldest actors to ever break through in Hollywood, and it happened like so it's late in his career. For me yet. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Ben's the next Ian McKellen. You know yes. what's going to happen? In about 30 to 40 years, when Ben comes out of the closet, he too will become <laughs> a big movie star. And when they remake Lord of the Rings. Thou shalt not You're in New Zealand. Yes, You're I in am. New Zealand. You're halfway there. You're in New Zealand. You're in the closet. <laughs> There's only one more step for you to take, Ben, before you become as successful as Ian McKellen. It's it's a renowned fact here in this country that whenever somebody comes out of the closet as gay, you automatically get cast in Lord of the Rings. It's just it just it's a thing in New Zealand. There you go. And they're making a Middle Earth TV show. Oh, look, I'm I'm set for life. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess if the if the movie ticket stub opens it why does the movie screen open also my other question is when uh nick starts the movie projector i'm guessing he's trying to get it back to a point in the movie that slater could jump back into and i wonder why this is sort of the end of the movie just everybody at the police station like is this supposed to be the final scene of the movie that he jumps back into that's something else that i think they could have gone a little bit further with or or, or even i keep saying they could have gone further with it's just i had ideas in my head i'm like this movie is so uh creative it's it's imaginative there there are lots of different things you could have done it would have been cool if they just jumped into an earlier scene in the movie or something like that or they jump in and he has to beat benedict one more time because the benedict in the movie you know would still exist because i don't know there's uh, none of it it's all deliberate that's all we have to say (laughs) Um, and then the credits like you said my 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 question about Def Leppard was for a reason because like you mentioned ECDC and uh, this whole soundtrack was a big deal when the movie came out, but at least in North America, I mean, when I was looking at this on Wikipedia, they mentioned the singles that released on this, and it's like you know ACDC, Megadeth, Alice in Chains. None of those songs were like classic songs you heard on the radio all the time. The Def Leppard song Two Steps Behind," which was apparently the fifth single released from this movie, months after the movie had already bombed in theaters became one of the biggest songs of the year like it was so huge i'm I'm curious if this was the same thing or maybe because acdc is australian that became a bigger deal there because like def leppard despite not being a canadian band obviously uh they actually frequently credit canada as being maybe their biggest audience uh, and there was another song around this time that they had that came out right after Two Steps Behind called Miss You in a Heartbeat that on their Greatest Hits album, they credited, they just said, thank you, Canada, because the song became a hit in Canada when they didn't even realize it was released as a single anywhere. So, I mean, here, Two Steps Behind, like, that was what this movie was known for because that song was so big. But, wh- I mean, what was the soundtrack like there? Um, I mean, I'm just looking at here that, I mean, Big Gun is the ACDC song. It didn't actually do that well. Uh, went to 19 in Australia. Um, its highest chart was 
eight on the Norwegian singles chart. They love their ACDC in Norway. Um, and it did go to number one on the hot mainstream rock tracks chart in the US. But um, according to this, it's not really been one that um, ACDC have kind of gone out of their way to do um, because they're saying here that they've only ever played the song live once uh, and and that was in a rehearsal, never in an official show. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting how they've kind of, uh, at least seeing the history here about it. But, um, yeah, it's not really one that did huge big deals in australia it's funny because like two steps behind like i love def leppard they were one of they're one of my favorite bands and uh this has got to be one of their best songs and uh i was just sort of humming the song constantly and then i was just singing it on and off throughout the afternoon and then james was like will you stop singing that really cheesy <laughs> song and i'm like what it's a great song and i forced her to listen to it and then she's like okay that's actually pretty sweet <laughs> yeah well um she needs to listen to more uh, here, I got, apparently I, I, yeah, I pulled this up. Apparently, th- this answers my question. Uh, in Australia, two steps behind only peaked at number thirty-three, um, uh. which is crazy. I it hit the the top five on the mainstream rock chart in uh, U.S. Canada. It was a top forty single. So yeah, I mean, obviously much bigger here than it was there. There you go. We answered we, my question. We refuse to listen to Def Leppard when we've got ACDC. You know, why would you want to eat steak when you've got steak? At- no, that's not that saying. What is it? Why would you want to have something if you've got steak at home? Oh, oh I don't know. <laughs> Let's do Def Leppard versus ACDC Oz. Um, <laughs> we'll figure sure. out a way to make it work. I'll get someone else to host because I'm too busy listening to Madonna. My middle-aged gay man's club doesn't really play <laughs> ACDC and Def Leppard, so... Um- I might have to get some help for that one to stand up. Um, so yeah, I oh, guess I have to mention this. This is a, if people want to listen to our recap of Hocus Pocus, which featured myself, Rossi, Jamie, and Jared. I'm going to put it up there. One of the best episodes we've ever had in the Oz Network, despite it being a bad movie. Uh, there's a scene where the mom character is dressed as Madonna, and the kids <laughs> don't get what she's supposed to be. And Rossi said something about like, really, are any kids going to know who Madonna are or get that? I'm like, Ben would have. And then Rossi's like, Ugh, any normal kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never on episodes with Rossi anymore. Him and I, you know, just don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this movie, as we've kind of mentioned, renowned as a bit of a, well, allegedly a bit of a bomb. Um, we'll get to the box office in just a moment. Um, critically, it uh, has only 34% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is a travesty, like way more high than that should be. Uh, an average rating of 4.9. Uh, the site's consensus reads, Last Action Hero has most of the right ingredients for a big budget action spoof, but its scattershot tone and uneven structure only add up to a confused, chaotic mess. Arnold knows it's deliberate, though. What are you talking about? Um, it has 44 out of 100 on Metacritic and on Cinema Score, it has an average grade of C+. Um, other critics here, Vincent Camby likened it to a two-hour Saturday Night Live sketch, something of a mess, but a frequently enjoyable one. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it 2.5 out of 4, saying that despite some entertaining entertaining moments, Last Action Hero plays more like a bright idea than like a movie that was thought through. It doesn't evoke the mystery of the barrier between audience and screen the way Woody Allen did in The Purple Rose of Cairo. Oh, coming soon to the Oz Network. And a lot of the time, uh, it simply seems to be standing around commenting on itself. Isn't that the point? 
Um, um, just something I wanted to add to the the box office, uh, or, or I'll let you cover it first. But just going back, uh, no, I'll talk first. You give me my piece now, Ben. Uh, wow. Anyway, um, I, I brought this up earlier because we were talking about how this opened against the second weekend of uh, Jurassic Park, and that's kind of what's credited as the failure of it. I thought uh, that that's because I'm looking at it kind of as a modern day movie fan, where you can have the Force Awakens open, and then the next week something else opens, and it still does big business. I thought, well, that's probably not that big of a deal. Till looked up, probably the next two massive movies that opened, um, Batman Forever in '95. You know what business did movies do a week after Batman Forever? And I realized not a single new movie opened in the top ten the week after Batman Forever came out. Uh, it was knocked out of the top spot by Pocahontas. Uh, which had already been released limited and was expanding. And then Independence Day would be the other one. Independence Day was like like huge, huge movie. Uh, and you kind of see the same thing here as the, I think it's not nothing daring to open as big as um, The Last Action Hero, you know, opening opposite um, uh, Jurassic Park. But you, you see the opposite. You see all these small time movies like Courage Under Fire, opening opposite uh, Independence Day week after, and then the following week after that, you get you know huge movies such as Kazam with Shaquille O'Neal, <laughs> Fled with Lawrence Fishburne and Stephen Baldwin, The Frighteners with Michael J. Fox, and Multiplicity with Michael Keaton uh, two weeks after Independence Day. So there probably something is to the last action hero's legacy as far as box office goes that it taught other studios don't open major movies right after another huge movie that's guaranteed to be a hit comes out. Mm, yeah, well, that's that's definitely a good way of looking at it. And, it's, I mean, you, I think you mentioned before about the fact that, I mean, it still made $50 million, which I guess on a budget of $85 million mm. isn't that good. It's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, so you expect it to make a little bit more. Worldwide, it made $87 million on top of that $50 million domestically, so it made $137 million um, in total. Um, and if you look at... The yearly box office for 1993, uh, it came in at, uh, 23rd. Did I see that or 13th? Where did it? it disappeared off my thing just a second ago? Uh, it came in at 26th. If I can you do that. a comparison? Can you, can you look up 2017 and see what was the 26th highest grossing movie? I'll look at that. I can, I can pull that up for you in just one moment. So you want to know the 26th highest rating movie in 2017? Mm-hmm. That, of course, would be the iconic movie Girls Trip, uh, mm-hmm. which made $115 million. It's the 26th highest grossing yeah. film. I mean, ahead of that, in 25th was Transformers The Last Night, and below that was Fifty Shades Darker. Even Baby Driver was 28th and $107 million. So, I mean, that, I guess, just goes to show you what ticket prices are more expensive and box office generally is a little bit more now, that the 26th well, most highest grossing movie uh, made uh, more than double of what the 26th movie ranked in 1993 did. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, ticket prices are inflated now, so the grosses are going to be higher. But what I just find interesting is that, I mean, movies don't change one way or the other. A, a movie that's really big now is going to do the same amount, you know, uh, as far as audience paid admissions as it did back then. So to look at it in comparison, like Girls Trip was considered a very successful movie. 
you know, Baby Driver considered a very successful movie, but that was with smaller expectations. The fact that we have Transformers The Last Night around there, that's very similar because Transformers The Last Night, probably like the last action you had at the time, this Transformers, every single Transformers movie is like top five grossing movies in the entire year. The Last Night comes out and does way less business, although still when you look at it numbers-wise, it's not like it's a disastrous box office gross. It's just compared to the expectations. So we can kind of see now, you know, Last Action Hero 1993 is like Transformers The Last Night today. It's not disastrous. It's just, wow, that should have done a lot more business based on expectations. 33 movies made over $100 million last year. Uh, where in 1993, only eight did. So, um, there you go. Um, other movies, just looking here though, 26. So, movies below it of note, uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, Adam's Family Values, Wayne's World 2, um, Hocus Pocus, um, uh, <laughs> The Piano, <laughs> um, movies like that. Um, obviously, if you are wondering what the highest grossing movie of 1993 is, of course it was Jurassic Park. Everybody out there should know that as well. Uh, opening weekend wise, though, uh, Jurassic Park in its second week still made $38 million, whereas Last Action Hero made $15 million. The only other movie released in that week was Once Upon a Forest. Uh, coming soon to the Oz Network. Um, <laughs> Cliffhanger was third in its fourth week. Now, we had a Tina Turner appearance in this movie, but the movie about Tina Turner, What's Love Got to Do With It, was the fourth grossest, uh, grossest movie. It was terrible. It was disgusting. Uh, it was its, <laughs> that was in its second week. So What's Love Got to Do With It Open Against Jurassic Park. There you go. Um, and Dave. I love Dave. Good movie. Um, that was in its seventh week. Uh, that was still making $2 million there. I should mention that this did get nominated, um, for some Golden Razzie Awards. Uh, it was nominated for no. six of them. Worst picture, worst actor, worst director, worst screenplay, worst new star, and worst original song for Big Gun. But the good news is it didn't win any. And what year of the Golden Razzies wouldn't be complete without Madonna winning one? Uh, she won Worst Actress in 1993 for Body of Evidence. Um, Burt Reynolds won the Worst Actor that year. Uh, the, so the categories that they were up against, the Last Action Hero, the movie lost, well, one, I guess, uh, Worst Picture, Indecent Proposal won it that year. Arnold Schwarzenegger was up for Worst Actor, lost to Burt Reynolds, as what? I just mentioned. Um, that was in Cop and a Half. Have you seen that one before? Um... <laughs> Nope. What else do we have here? John McTiernan was directed for Worst Director, but lost to Jennifer Lynch for Boxing Helena. Good movie, that one. Never heard of it. Uh, worst Screenplay, lost to Indecent Proposal. Worst New Star, Austin O'Brien. a good movie. Austin O'Brien, as the Worst New Star, lost out to Janet Jackson in Poetic Justice. <laughs> and <laughs> Big Gun from Last Action Hero, lost out to uh, Adam's Family Womp from uh, Adam's Family Values as the worst original <laughs> song. Uh, that's That's got to be on your iPod, doesn't it? Everyone has that song. Um, but yeah, that's that's an interesting look at the box. But again, it's, it's kind of, despite the bad reviews, the bad box office, this movie has still garnered a bit of a reputation as being a cult favourite now. So I think a lot of people are coming around on this movie and it's kind of a... It's a it seems to always be on TV, as well. So, um, yeah. Are you glad you've watched this now, Colin? I guess leading into our ratings right oh. now, unless you've got anything to add on the other ones now, but uh, any final thoughts before we rate it, I guess? Yeah, you know, I think I always expected to enjoy this movie, even when it did bomb, and I said in the beginning that that's one of the reasons that I waited 20... 20- <laughs> 
Bless you. Uh, this movie makes me sneeze. <laughs> the reason I waited 25 years to watch this, there was never a point where I'm like, oh, I probably won't like this movie. I always figured it would be something I would like. So I'm, I, maybe if it had been a bigger hit and it was always around, you know, I would have instantly watched it. But it's interesting that we're covering this right after that you know, we did a Hocus Pocus episode as well because they came out the same year. They're both very similar. Both were considered like huge bombs. And for whatever reason, not even just over time, uh, probably just within the last couple of years, this movie's reputation has improved. And you say like it's starting to get a bit of a, a cult following. I, mean, I think it definitely qualifies that cult following. But what's more surprising is that whenever people talk about like the best Schwarzenegger movies or even John McTiernan, this is right up there. It's It's not like people are saying like, oh, and believe it or not, it's surprisingly good. It's like it's generally thought of against what all the critics at the time generally thought of to be a really good movie. And I'm completely with it. I mean, I was surprised. I think it's pretty rare that nowadays, you know, I'm such a big movie buff and I watch everything that comes out every single year. It's pretty rare that there's a movie that I discover, you know, an older movie where I watch it. I'm like, wow, that is such a good movie. And this was one of the ones that surprised me. I'm like, this was way better than I expected it to be. So that's a buy from you then, I I assume. Oh, it's easily a buy. I mean, I I, I would I, I mentioned in the beginning, you know, where I would rank this among the best Schwarzenegger movies. You know, I think you can't even compare it to Terminator. You know, two that's obviously the best. But I mean, outside of Terminator, uh, you have Total Recall, you have Kindergarten Cop. Um, then I think you got like movies like this and The Running Man. Uh, and Conan the Barbarian. I mean, I would put it up there, like I said, probably on like the top of like the second tier Schwarzenegger movies. It's way better than Eraser. Let's just say that. <laughs> That's not that hard. Um, I 100% agree. It's definitely a buy it. Um, always would, was going to be heading into this. It's a great one. But one thing I wanted to quickly read here before we go into previewing next week is I do love this trivia fact on IMDb where it says, the merchandising people came up with some Jack Slater action figures with guns, but Arnold Schwarzenegger vetoed the idea since Last Action Hero was a warmer, more cuddly film. The film had seven video games, a $20 million Burger King promotion, a $36 million theme park ride, NASA's first paid ad in space, as well as a four-story inflatable Jack Slater at Cannes, and Schwarzenegger gave 40 television interviews and 54 print interviews in 24 hours, setting a new personal record. But he still didn't want an action figure. <laughs> there was sorry. a similar uh there was a similar debate among girls trip last year about the action figures and <laughs> queen latifah also yes. vetoed that idea yes and rightfully so that just would have been tasteless <laughs> um so next week we conclude anniversary year um with maybe the one i'm <laughs> most excited for because i think you know we've done 2001 space odyssey Cool. Never seen it before. We've talked about it. Greece. Okay, fair enough. Cool. Great. Last Action Hero. You've never seen it. You've seen it now. Great. Awesome. We're finally getting to a movie that we've both seen, we both love, and this movie is hated. Like, this isn't even getting yes. a cult following. This movie is despised. It's been written out of, uh, you know, the, the continuity of Godzilla. The Japanese were so offended by this movie that they kind of had to do all these massive rewrites and everything in order to continue on this lore of the iconic Godzilla. Uh, we've had a reboot of this since. We're about to get another one next year. This movie is just amazing. I, I, I'm, I will lose all little reputation I had leading into next week to stand on the fact that 1998's Godzilla is so insanely entertaining 
that it's just, I will defend this movie so much because I love it. I love 1998's Godzilla. It's such a fun movie. And all the haters, tune in next week so we can try and change your mind and I can abuse you. Colin, Godzilla, we love this movie. How amazing is it? Um, um, oh, I'm First, I'm just going to tell people, even if you hate this movie, listen to the episode <laughs> because we're well aware of some of the dumb things about this, but that's what makes it fun. And I think you have to separate this from being a Godzilla movie to it. I know it sounds dumb, but you have to separate it from being a Godzilla movie to enjoy it. If you watch this as a Roland Emmerich movie, as if the guy from Independence Day came up with an original idea to do a monster movie, this is a really fun movie. And ultimately, you know, because of like the, the, the diehard fan base of Godzilla, this has just gotten, it's such a terrible movie because it's not a Godzilla movie. At the time I saw this in 1998, I think I had seen one Godzilla movie. It's not like I was a huge fan or anything. You couldn't have told me all the things that were wrong about it. Now I'm a big Godzilla fan. Like I've seen all the Japanese movies. There's like 30 of them and I've seen every single one. Um, I can see the complaints about this not being a proper Godzilla movie, but it is so much fun. And it's, it's fun in like the perfect 1998 way. That's what's great about anniversary month is we can go back and be like, you know, this is what action movies were like in 1993. Uh, this is what sci-fi was like when you know, times were changing in 1968. And this is what blockbusters were in 1998. It's just, it's the perfect 1998 dumb popcorn movie. And you add to that, like, Matthew Broderick, who's, I don't care what anybody says, Matthew Broderick's great in everything. And Hank Azaria, I mean, who doesn't love yes. Hank Azaria? Live action Hank Azaria, we need to see that more often. Um, it's a dumb movie, but it is so much fun for being dumb. So I'm really looking forward. This is the one that even though I'm not going to say this is on level with like 2001, A Space Odyssey, uh, <laughs> but this is the episode I'm most excited to talk about because I think it's the one we're going to have the most fun doing. The Oz Network, the only podcast in the history of podcasts that will compare 2001, A Space Odyssey to 1998, Godzilla. <laughs> Uh, also, Simpsons fans get excited because I still think this holds the record for most live-action appearances by Simpsons voice actors in the history of movies. Oh, Hank Azaria is in it. Harry Shearer is in it. Uh, Nancy Cartwright's in it. Uh, and um, oh, who are somebody else is in it too? Isn't aren't they too? So I think there's at least four Simpsons actors who appear as real-life people in this movie. So. Um, there's a weird little connection for you there as well. But yes, Godzilla coming next week as we end our anniversary decade. Um, other things that I guess are happening, uh, Hocus Pocus is up this week for Halloween as well. Uh, do you have a few other random rewatches, uh, in the meantime whilst we get lost sorted, uh, before that comes back to Mondays? Yeah, so, I mean, we've already started recording them, but, um, I guess the first Monday in November, which is coming up, uh, next week, uh, we're going to start filling in for Lost with random rewatch Mondays, which is going to be me and Rossi and maybe other people joining us as well, going back and forth. The first episode, I pick something which is the biggest Canadian TV show of all time, Corner Gas. Uh, Rossi gets to be exposed to the the Canadian sitcom uh, legend, Corner Gas, and then... He'll pick something at the end of the ad- that episode and reveal it, and then we'll know next week to watch. So people who listen along with it, whether you've seen the shows or not, you can still listen to it because part of the gimmick here is that we're often going to be picking things one of the people hasn't seen. And then listen to the end, and we'll reveal what to watch next week. And then you can watch along, and we can cover a different show every single week, which will be fun. And I will say for people who are hanging out for the Lost Ones as well, we are in the process of organizing that. Hopefully, 
within a month or so, we hope to get it. We might just bank a few episodes before we start doing them, get some of these random rewatches because this is a fun idea and that we might shift that to another day as well uh, once Lost kind of comes back into it. But we've got Third Watch still on Wednesdays, Nip Tuck on Tuesdays. We've got a couple of, uh, I guess, movie reviews to come. Uh, I'm very excited for Bohemian Rhapsody this week um, and uh, I'm not sure what else you're planning on seeing. Anything else? Is Halloween and Venom still happening? Or, I mean, Venom's Halloween, basically forgotten maybe. about now, isn't it? Venom, maybe. <laughs> um yeah, Bad Times at the El Royale. I'm looking forward to seeing that. If it's good enough, maybe we'll get an episode. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and uh, other ones that have just come out this week as well. Uh, Star is Born, Johnny English, uh, and our first man one are out there as well. But uh, it's been fun. I'm looking forward to next week. Um, remember to like us on Facebook, subscribe, and all the relevant podcast channels. And I think we're on YouTube, but we just don't really use it that much. So probably don't subscribe to that until we do something with it. Um, but yes, thank you for tuning in. My name is Ben, and two days to retirement. My name is Colin, and I look forward to acne, shaving, and premature ejaculation. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.